The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. Inside the Gold Mine, your central guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. I'm your host, Doc Savage, and with me is my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul. We are finishing up, for those of you who listened last Thursday, to our Revisiting Bond show. Uh, we managed to get through most of the Connery and Moore era, but didn't get to basically the reason we started the show in the first place, to get onto the things that we had not really addressed last time around, or you know maybe have some different views on. So now we'll be picking up from Never Say Never Again forward. So, uh, hello, Lewis. Hello. Yeah, the last film we were talking about uh, was Octopussy, and I think we both agreed it was a, it, it was a failed movie. It just didn't really work. The locations were nice. Uh, you know, you can't fault that. And the cinema, cinematography, I think, I think it might have been Douglas Locum, who had done a lot of the uh, eight more ones, Later, Roger says he's really good by uh, Watered, a British film institute, Watered, a really good cinematographer. You know, these Bond movies are a machine, and once they get going, it's like, let's go everywhere. We mentioned, I I believe, or you did, Caber Betty, I think that's his name. You know, he had a part in this because probably they got some funding to uh, go to India. Uh, and he was a guess a star in India. And he was in a couple of other things I remember seeing him in. Young looking guy, you know. Um, the thing is, <laughs> was vapid. You know, there was no reason but for the funding to have a, an Indian star appear in this movie. Maud Adams was wasted. Louis Jordan was wasted. Uh, and and the one you that saw was this friend. <laughs> yeah, and, and isn't this the movie with the Fabergé eggs? Correct. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, that, and and that that's a that's a thin clock can see, especially for a Bond film. The world is not enough. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're good. Uh, where was I? I'm sorry. <laughs> you were talking about yeah. There was no reason to have. Uh, I, I think it was DJ Armitage that I brought up. You mentioned another Indian actor, and there's really no reason to have him in there. Right. Well, yeah. And it also about something... the Fabergé egg thing being a kind of a loose conceit to yes, have on film. Yes, the Fabergé egg thing. Well, uh, I think Fabergé was uh, at the time period. I don't know if they still are. It was like very big. It was like a corporate-funded colognes and perfumes no one could afford unless you were right. like super, super models and super, super stars and 
And I don't know if you remember, but I remember at the time there were like ads in magazines and there was an occasional, you know, like we got the Victoria's Secret ads on occasion today, not so much on television. Yep. It was like from Fabergé. There was like this yes. whole thing going on. They used to play it on like disco type stuff, like Solid Gold would have things like that in between yeah. the Brooke Shields, you exactly. know, nothing gets between Calvin's ads. <laughs> and, um, um, Roger Moore was a Fabergé, uh, Fabergé uh, spokesman and uh, one of the corporate execs uh, for a long time. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that had something to do with the Fabergé thing. It was a jeweled encrusted egg. It, it was just ridiculous. And uh, who was the other girl? And Oh, yes, you you brought that up, but Christina Wayborn. Yes. And I, I mentioned last uh, last week that she may have been the... the transsexual. She may not have been. It might have been another actress. I forgot who that was, but one of the hot girls in that movie was in fact a transsexual. It wasn't revealed until a little later on. So Bond, the Bond <laughs> production engine wasn't trying to be progressive. It just came out afterwards. <laughs> like um, It would have been cool if they were trying to be progressive. Oh, come on. There's so much stuff in there. We, we talk constantly about some of the old man directors like uh, Guy Hamilton and how retrogressive a lot of their, uh, uh, what do you want to say, identity politics, sexual politics actually were, especially with stuff like Live and Let Die, where you've got the backwards gender politics and the backwards racial politics. Like, you know, that's part of the, the charm of the series, too, because it's like it's dated. It's very much of its era. It's very much that old boys club sort of um, – you know, the, the swinger of the 50s, more, more or less, or, or the early what? 60s. Uh, right, yeah. I'm a little fresh in the mind right now uh, than I was Thursday night. So, yeah, I, something I touched upon the other night, uh, and I don't think I really formulated my thoughts as much, was uh, Bond seemed to have used a lot of the old school guys, like uh, Guy Hamilton, who I believe uh, did Goldfinger, I hope I'm correct, was brought back few times uh, to do mm-hmm. other pictures in the canon. And, you know, at the t- you know, a lot of these guys were already, to be kind, uh, mature men. You know, they, they were mature-aged people. Uh, <laughs> were starting between 50 and 70, to be generous. Right. And they still, yet, brought them back. You know, some of these movies had, you know, if you look at their CVs on IMDb or something, they, they had they had a, a nice collection of, of of uh, credits, directing credits, and uh, they still brought them back, and they're already like 75, 80 years old at the time, you know. And you know, you did such great work 14 years ago for us, so uh, <laughs> you know, we want you to do this movie. And you know, I was not knocking their, you know, believe me, I'm not knocking at all their uh, uh, technical proficiency or anything. You know, I'm sure they did. You know, they, they did a fine job, but. It's not like now where they're actually trying to look for something else, somebody else. But they do get caught in that thing, like Sam Mendes, and we'll get to that. Yeah, well, the, I think what you were trying to get to there is that not that it's terrible to bring back people that are dependable and you know and you, you know what kind of job they're going to give you. It's the idea that because they are old and have been doing these films going back many years – they're still in the mindset of, you know, kind of like how in a lot of ways I'm still stuck in the 80s mindset. Uh, the People are stuck in the mindset of, you know, you dance with the one that brung you. So it was like back in the 80s and 90s when I used to deal with old folks and they were still talking like Sinatra was, you know, still alive and relevant. That kind of a thing. 
right, where were we? There's nothing wrong with them hiring guys that they know are dependable. Okay, well, you've done a couple films first. We know what we're going to get out of you. Or the fact that they're older. The trick is that it's like when in the 80s, you know, you would see people that were still acting like Sinatra was relevant and still alive, you know, when he was like either on his deathbed or gone. So they weren't really keeping up with the times. Now, you know, that's not a terrible thing. You don't have to be like contemporary all the time. I get the newest teenager to direct this thing. But it gets a little bit, especially when you're talking about the 70s where so much dramatic social change was going on. And here you've got people that are directing like it's you know, 1955 and they're, they're going around with their sweater vest in their pipe and playing professor and honey, get me my slippers. You know, you have a nice day, dear. You know, that's the kind of vibe you get from several yeah. Bond films. Anymore. Yeah, true, uh, true. And why they didn't go out and look for, uh, you know, a Sidney Lumet, somebody of that caliber, we really could have had a really, really interesting movie. Now, granted, you know, these are not people, you know, second unit guys, that's what they're there for, you know, and then sometimes they knock our socks off, uh, you know, as far as the action goes. But, you know, they, they didn't go out and grab, during that time period, that kind of person, but Broccoli and Saltzman were still alive around then. So, you know, they just were like the cigar-chomping Donald Trumps <laughs> of their time. You know, they're yeah. like, we have a formula, and we're going to adhere to this formula because it's going to make us money. And they don't, they didn't open their their realm, so to speak. Yeah, the, you know, the they closest didn't... they got was with the theme songs, like we mentioned last time. They've tried to go, oh, let's get a little more relevant, and they would get somebody that was popular five years ago, ten years ago. To do the theme, as opposed to somebody like you know Matt Monroe or Tom Jones, who is hopelessly well, out of date. There you go. There you go. Did I just name drop Donald Trump a minute ago? Because <laughs> he's the same thing he's doing. He's listening to people who are relevant five, six, seven years ago. If you really look at all the people he's capturing, oh, did I do that? Uh, <laughs> the people who are who may have been relevant five or six years ago. I mean, what's, what's the guy who like? was screwing his mistress and giving her all the, the dirty deeds, uh, whatever his name was, some general guy, Petraeus, right? And, like, he hires him now, but, like, who is this guy? I thought he was dead. So, <laughs> in essence, the Bond movie directors are sort of like that, you know, uh, right. when Broccoli and Saltzman were, were doing the thing. Which brings us to the, the Bond movie that was made the same year, the Renegade picture, as it's called. And Exactly. And actually, this was a lot better than either of the more Eon pictures that surrounded it, uh, Octopussy or the one we'll get to shortly, which is View to a Kill, which was Never Say Never Again. And like you said, it was a renegade picture, so there was a lot of back and forth on it. Like A lot of people really despised it right out of the gate. Other people liked parts of it and hated other parts. Like, okay, they liked Sean Connery, but they hated the soundtrack. Nobody could figure out why, other than you know the real legal issues behind it, why they were redoing an old Bond film. I don't want to say poorly. That's not really true because I like it. But it was why are we redoing something that was already a success that has you know whatever 25, 30 years of people that love this thing as it is. Why are you redoing it? Why don't you make something new? Well, yeah, I know, because because uh, one of the books I was working on, I actually brought this up a couple of times. The legend has it that, that Ian Fleming and one of the producers of Never Say Never, the guy who actually had the rights to it for a long time, they did a drunken card game, and they came up with this idea for Spectre. And they also came up with the idea for uh, Thunderbolt. 
And that's why the the one lone book of Thunderbolt actually, you know, on the jacket, Ian Fleming, when you open it up, it's 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 actually credited to great assistance from so and so. Right. The thing was, it got to Eon as they were going along the way with the Bond movies. Suddenly, received a cease and desist, and like you gotta be kidding. This guy's like, well, I hear I have this script that I wrote with Ian Fleming. Like, what what script? It was a different script for Thunderball. You know, Ian Fleming right. was long dead. And apparently Ian Fleming did a treatment with this guy. Probably another drunken cartoon. And <laughs> it's true, though. You know, so the guy's like, well, I'll tell you what. I'll sell you the rights to this for a lot of money. And I'm like, get out of here. We already made this movie. So for a long time, there was back and forth in the courts with this. And was it Jack Schwartzman? Impossible. Some weird what, thing. the other writer? Kevin McClory. Kevin McClory, but there was a Jack Schwartzman board brought in at some point. And yes, Kevin McClory. And and you were right about Schwartzman. He's the producer. Yeah, he's he's like this weird third guy. He was probably somebody like that tried to clean it up and throw his name on. There was a lot of chicanery going on about this one movie. It's like we already have Thunderball. Yep. Well, they actually got to the point where some weird legal and they work in the legal field. So God knows, <laughs> I can't even understand it, but. They got to the point where some some judge said, you can make this movie because it's different enough, but you can't do this, and you can't right. do that. So they said, great, let's speed track this thing. So they signed Irvin Kirshner, uh, who three years previous had done to what, what I believe is one of the best of the Star Wars movies, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Oh, and it is. Irvin was, was already of age. You know, he was... It was uh, <laughs> He'd done pictures in the 60s, so I'm even surprised he got that picture, but he did a phenomenal job. Did a phenomenal right. job with The Empire Strikes Back. Correct. So they didn't do a bad thing there. And uh, what did they do? They tried to woo just Sean Connery, and they fucking got him. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Probably because they said, well, here's the thing. It's like the it's, it's akin to the Christopher Lee Dracula saga that went on for years and years and years. They said to Connery, you could play Bond older the way you want to. And, of course, right. he signed on a dotted line. Things happen, you know, as the movie actually got. <laughs> but Klaus Maria Brandauer uh, as uh, the villain, you know, well, he, he was just coming off of Mephisto and uh, quite, quite a couple of other German movies. Um, he was hot at the time. Uh, it would have been amazing if it was Klaus Kinski, which is name-checking. Yes, that's who they should have put. <laughs> Uh, and those of you, uh, if this comes out before, like I think it will, uh, those of you who aren't listening this coming Wednesday for our Kinski show, you're a fool. <laughs> you should tune in and have, to, have a couple of laughs with us because Kinski is an amazing character, not only as an actor, but just in terms of his sheer um, – what do you want to say? Our, our, our show that we did on Oliver Reed with his drunken exploits doesn't hold a candle to the sheer uh, – the stories of Klaus Kinski, you know, however you want to label him as insane or what. Yeah, that'll be an interesting show because while while we 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 cannot not bring that Address stuff up, yeah. you know his his womanizing or his amazing uh, for the way he looked, his amazing magnetic appeal to women too. You can't not you can't say that didn't happen. Yes, sir. And and his unusual look, and for all that, he was an amazing actor, Mister Intensity, and he was insane. So. For all that, yes, he would have been the perfect choice to play this part. Yet, 
<laughs> I don't think it would have got far beyond a couple of shooting days. You know, I'm sure Connery and him would have, you know, loggerheads. But also has uh, Kim Basinger, who was also very popular at the time. Barbara Carrera, correct? Yes. And this is actually part of the problem with it, but we'll, we'll get to Shirley. Basically what happens, as you've mentioned, is that they did the Thunderbolt story all over again. Not quite note for note, but it's close enough that it's easily recognizable. The characters are easily recognizable. The thing is, first off, they did sort of address the fact that Bond had aged, just like Connery had, obviously. Uh, and they were bringing him back in for a last mission. All right, that's fine. And they also had some decent locations. Maybe not as nice as Thunderbolt the original, but you know it was it was a nice place, nice resort uh, area. The trick is that some of the people that they cast, maybe because it was the '80s, really are. I mean, you may like them, you may not like them, but it just felt more campy, which is the same problem that we had not only with Octopussy, but certainly with uh, View to a Kill, uh, which is these are very day-glow, goofy 80s, not even actors, but personages more like. These are celebrities, uh, quote-unquote, as opposed to actors. Uh, uh, so uh, you get people like Kim Basinger who – I'm sorry, she's not really much of an actress. I mean, uh, I personally didn't find her all that attractive, but guys thought she was great at the time. You've got Barbara Carrera, who's very nice to look at. Well, with Kim Basinger, they definitely did did something you won't probably see in the other Bond movies, which is um, they actually shot her. You know, they tend to to, like soft lens, uh, a lot of stuff with the shoot to get their women and actress in those movies. And here... She got a really hard, hard lens uh, stuff going on there, and um, that really skimpy suit she wore would probably not. I mean, it's hugging her lips practically in some scenes. Yeah. So it's definitely something that yes, I noticed it, but it's definitely something you wouldn't probably see in a well, at least in a bomb picture of that time period. And that's why she was popular at the time, because she was, I don't say known for doing that, but she was more open to being the sex object, if you will, which, mm. you know, in the early 80s was not really a thing yet. I mean, it became that mm. later into the 80s and the early 90s, but we were still coming out of 70s feminism. So to see somebody that was no longer like a Diane Keaton type, and all of a sudden you've got you know women like that that are just like, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't mind showing off that, I, you know, it's my sex, basically. Kind of like, um, who was the first one I was thinking about that did that? One of, uh, she yeah, was, yeah. Uh, before Linda Evans, uh, John Evans' is our first uh, yeah, girlfriend yeah. or wife. Bo Derek, uh, kinda, yeah. Bo Derek, thank you. Bo Derek kicked it off, and then, of course, you had Brooke Shields as she got older, and then you had Kim Basinger. It was like a, a clear lineage. These were the same sort of what at the time was kind of a new woman where it's like, well, I don't care. I have no problem being sexual. This is, this is what you're marketing me on. And they would kind of be comfortable with it. And that was what I think made her so popular. It wasn't that she was so attractive, which I never really found her. Uh, it certainly wasn't that she was a good actress. It was that she didn't mind being, I don't say used, but you know, uh, using her sex, if you will. And Carrera was a weird choice, though, because that's the one. Yeah, yeah because um, her lineage up to that point was not too many A films. Um, Did she do any A films? I, I thought she was cast. First off, she was a Playboy playmate. That was what she was known for. Yes. Uh, she was hanging around with Hefner for a while, longer than a lot of his you know, supposed uh, bunnies or girls, or you want to call them, that was close to Hugh himself as opposed to just you know whatever at the mansion. But really, I think the only thing that she was vetted for before this, if I'm not mistaken, 
was they were trying to put her in uh, Vampirella before they wound up with Talisa Soto, and then I don't know if he even got made that stupid movie, but they were talking about it for like no, 15 years. It's, yeah, I think that was that was that happened actually a little later on. I think what the hap- uh well there was Embryo and Barbara was in a few other pictures, but uh, yeah, it sort of she went from C movies immediately to this picture here, and then. Right. There was the noticeable cutting of the budget, uh, which I understand Connery publicly bitched about. Yep. And the other thing was he wanted to play Sans Hairpiece. That was another right. big thing. And uh, which you know would have been fine. We would have got used to it. What are you? Know, what are you doing? And uh, exactly. he actually looked more fit in this, I would say, than he did in Diamonds Are Forever. Diamonds Are Forever. I agree. I totally agree with yeah. that. He was, uh, what was it, 10 years later? But he definitely looked, uh, I don't want to say better because he did look yeah. old, but he was definitely in better shape from the look of him. So God yeah. knows what happened there. But he, he lost that uh, weight that he put on for, uh, what was it, the incident? Uh, the one that he did for, um, we, we mentioned it last time, uh, the one where he was the child molesting cop. Uh, the offense. The offense, that was it. Right. So I know that last time around, he had just come off the heels of that. So therefore, he was balding and he had put on weight. So this time around, I guess he had you know, got himself back into shape and eventually started doing things like Indiana Jones, Hunt for Red October, and all that jazz. But, but uh, I, Barbara I, I, was I, a strange story, as you mentioned. Yeah, and I understand why they, they had a last minute, which they probably battled with him. I'm sure there were a lot of shouting matches, too. I, I understand why they had a last minute thing saying, look, Sean... You're gonna to have to get a hairpiece, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because they're they're just thinking that nah, would have been too much, you know. But I don't think that would have been a major problem. And it was a, not a great hairpiece. Let's put it that way. I mean, <laughs> you kind of know. Yeah, it, it, it was noticeable. Trump, it was noticeable. <laughs> and you know, Brandauer, you had mentioned. Okay, yes, he was kind of hot at the time, briefly, but he was. Very, very over the top in this film, especially when they said, oh, what's hip nowadays? The kids like video games. So they put in that stupid thing, which really bogs the film down and makes it like it, – even if it was an Eon production, it would have been an anomaly in and of itself. Like what the hell is this super 80s friggin' thing in the middle of Bond sitting there playing this – I guess it was kind of like those uh, – remember the Star Wars arcade game where it was all vectors? Yeah. It was like that sort of thing. It was called like destruction or something. And Whoa. he would like electrocute the, the uh, what do you call it, the joysticks. It was really tacky, and it went on forever. And I think they were like, oh, look, I'm being really modern, and you know, here's CG for you or whatever, electronic effects. It looked like shit. <laughs> well, a very, uh, a very obvious budgetary uh, slice there was when they went to the underwater entrance to the cave where uh, Klaus Brenda had his uh, bombs. You know, the very Thunderball right. thing where they, they go up yep. and they enter this subterranean thing, and it just looked like a cheesy set. And yep. uh, you could really see that's like, wow, they, they could have did so. I mean, I think Irving Kirshner did his best considering that's what he had to work with. But I accept it. It's still a fun movie to be oh, yeah. when, when, when Sean is fighting that guy in the very beginning when they send Bond to, was it? It's Edward Fox, right? Edward Fox? Yes. Do you get into shape for his mission, or was it a test to see if he's still viable as a candidate for an agent uh, to this uh, real health and relaxation home? And Sean has this great fight with this guy. It's like one of the best in the whole series. <laughs> uh, 
this big burly villain and uh Yep. Um You know what's interesting about it though? The yeah. I feel that Thunderball, especially when I rewatched it recently, the part that worked for me the best was the whole spa sequence. Now here you're right, the fight was really intense. I mean overly intense to some extent. Uh, you know, the whole business is going through the kitchen and the plate glass windows every couple seconds, going down the staircase. It's like bullet, but instead of with cars, it's with people. Uh, there's so much insanity going on, and it's a long fight sequence. But outside of that, it didn't really strike me as much. It wasn't like, okay, here's the spa sequence. Just, no, that fight stood out. The rest of it was just like, eh, whatever. Yeah. And yet, like you mentioned, I really do like this film, and especially in this period after many subpar mores and a couple to come. I was like, well, this was actually a really good movie. It should have been an Eon production. It's just, it's not. And again, more strange casting on Barbara Carrera, we just mentioned. Uh, and of course, she was making a lot of weird faces and really camping it up. I mean, she's very pretty. And it's just like, holy shit, what the hell? She really went over the top of the comic bookness of her effective dominatrix character she was playing. Uh, you got Mr. Bean in there, Rowan Atkinson. Okay, yeah, yeah he was sort of hot at the time of Blackadder. And I don't mind him. But it was like, well, that was a strange choice. Bernie Casey's in the damn thing. It's Felix Leiter, as you mentioned in, the, in our last show. Again, odd choice. He was a black exploitation star and a TV uh, character actor. Uh, Max von Sydow shows up in the damn thing. What are you doing in this? Uh, <laughs> and yet, you know, there he is. And, 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 and who is he playing? Uh, you know. <laughs> exactly. He's playing freaking Blofeld. I'm like, what? All right. Yeah, I mean, he is definitely have the gravitas. He's one of the more, uh, other than maybe Charles Gray, uh, he, he certainly is one of the more intense actors to put in there as, okay, here's somebody that's going to radiate authority and whatever. But why is he in this movie? He's like, really? And after that, I think, oh, Pamela Salem, which is a strange choice, too. This was I don't, anybody that watches British uh, cult television we had mentioned probably uh, when we did that show. What the hell was that show with the kids? Not the Tomorrow People. Inside the Mountain or something like that or Under the Mountain. Oh, yeah. There was a kids series where these kids got pulled in by a wizard and wound up tripping through time effectively, almost like a Doctor Who type thing, trying to find this thing called the, the Mellis or the Bellor or whatever it is. And Bellor, who was Pale Salem, was the witch that was the antagonist of the whole thing. And she was known for that, and I think she showed up in a Doctor Who episode or two. Very strange choice to put in this as the hell was she? Money Penny, actually. Like, really? You know, Valerie Young, who was uh, a Hammer starlet, uh, shows up in this as well, briefly, you know, just kind of a bit part. But you can see where not only the casting is very unusual and off-kilter, but a lot of these people were established names. So therefore, a lot of the budget was going straight to, let's cast this person, let's cast that person. Like, your dream team of oddballs. You know what, let me throw Jeffrey Combs in this, and then I'll throw, uh, you know, really? <laughs> Uh, then, we'll, then we'll get the, some Jess Franco actors. Howard Vernon's going to pop up in this, and then we'll get Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Like, what? What are you doing? And money's going out the window the whole time. Uh, sure. But yet the film is really enjoyable for all that. And one thing that was also really controversial that I should get to before you can jump back in, uh, which is the score for this was strangely controversial. Yeah. And yeah. I actually like the score to this a lot more than a lot of the Bond films I've Not than the theme songs. Like, like you mentioned last time, the Duran Duran one is great and beautiful for kill. But in terms of the theme music, you know, going out throughout the thing, and uh, they got Michelle Legrand, which is a strange choice. Once again, uh, he was kind of a jazz. Um, who could you compare him to? Uh, not really like a Serge oh. Gainsbourg. Didn't have that kind of persona, oh. but more like oh. Dinah Krall, that kind of a thing. Uh, doing that kind of 
not schmaltzy, but lounge jazz, more or less. Well, didn't and Michelle compose the man and the woman theme, right? Yes, from yes, he did. Yes, Academy uh, Award winning too. Yeah. And they tried to get, of all people, Bonnie Tyler to come do the theme song. She said no, but and they got. Uh, I think it was his wife started doing it, uh, Lanny Hall or whatever. But nonetheless, can you picture, you know, with the holding on for a hero and all that crap and the uh, total eclipse of the heart? Here she is. She's going to do the theme song for this, especially when it's like never, never. Never say never again. Never. I mean, it's like a, a samba, more or less. And it was odd. It was a very odd choice. But people really hate it. And I actually like the soundtrack a lot. Maybe because it is sambas and bossa novas and things like that. And I'm partial to those. But, uh, you know, it was very controversial. So, go ahead. Oh, I, I, I hate this soundtrack. <laughs> you know, like a lot of people, apparently. <laughs> you... Do uh, it's slow. It's romantic, uh, but sometimes at the uh, when it when it needs not to be. Yeah, and it's not so, romantic. Uh, you know, you've got some like funk numbers and uh, almost like discified uh, uh, jazz oh, bits. And... I hear what you're saying, but it just seems dated. You know, it just seems yeah, I can it was that. dated when it was new. That is I true. Just to me that that. Not knocking the person's ability as a composer, I just said Academy Award winning and probably several other awards uh, for previous work. Uh, that's not going to win anybody. Anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just thought the score was like, eh. But who am I to say? Because I know I have read that it's a very popular score with the uh, uh, cinema audio file guys out there. You know, they're, yeah. Uh, what, yeah, trying to get it on LP, trying to get it on CD, trying to get a remaster of that. It's a very popular score. In and the see, that may be why I love it, because I'm one of those people. I've got like dozens and dozens of, uh, actually more than dozens and dozens, of Italian soundtracks from people like Emiliani and Morricone and Revibieri and uh, the DeAngelis yeah. brothers and so on and so forth. So this kind of fits in with that. It's not as... 60s or 70s, you know, it's not as discified with all its, uh, you know, sambas and whatever the hell, and shakes and bossa nova, but it's definitely playing into that, and that's exactly what you're saying. It felt retro. In 1983, that stuff was like, you know, 10 to 15 years before, so yeah, I can see why people hate it. It's just, I like it a lot, and maybe that's exactly why. <laughs> so, is there anything else you wanted to say about this particular film? No, no, it's, fact it's that, just, yeah, I think we both agree that it's better than, uh, better than the last... Didn't, uh, didn't Saltzman and Broccoli actually try to shut it down in the courts, too, even after it was being made and released? Eventually yeah, they, they bought it out. But... And, um, but they still won. Uh, they still won, the people behind this one, the Connery. They still won. And um, What's uh, weird to me is that they bought it out. They bought and... it out around the same period. And I remember Sean Connery doing, like, uh, Johnny Carson, you know, promoting this movie. You know, so it was it was it was really interesting, and it actually did better than Octopussy, which is good. Yeah, and what's strange about it though is that they had bought it out, and I think it was I hate to say with the attempt to suppress it because you can always get it on VHS now, you can get it on Blu-ray and stuff, but it's a little bit trickier. You know, they won't put it in with the Eon series; they kind of just no. conveniently ignore it. And if you can find it, it will always be by itself in a more a more obscure corner of the Bond uh, mainstream, if you will. Uh, it's sort of a, an outlier. So then we go back to the Eon stuff with View to a Kill. Oh, that thought, though. It's it's almost akin to the the one we didn't discuss, which is uh, 
which we discussed last year at four when we were talking about these movies, was Casino Royale. Yes. Which is the the five that directors. That was a clusterfuck. Yeah. Woody Allen was a part of that. <laughs> and it, I still really like it. It's bizarre. It, it it's problematic, and but I still really like it because it's it's just all over the place, and it's. Um, Multiple bonds, multiple females, multiple plot twists, uh, multiple odd, directors. Odd, right, it's almost like an anthology. It's, yeah, an odd, yeah, it's like an anthology. It's odd decisions in time jumping. Like, yeah. uh, the hell's, uh, Joanna Pettit plays uh, someone who David Niven's James Bond. He's pretty much the primary James Bond in that movie. Kind of lost after. And then, you know, she shows up. In a later episode, calling him daddy, and oh, he's still lusting after. It's like, no, no, I, I'm the original so and so's daughter. I'm, I'm her spitting image, but she's like the same age. And I was like, what happened? <laughs> I mean, there are odd things that happen in that movie, like, and, but I, it's still like everybody must have been dropping ass. And I love how Peter Roll Two pops up out of nowhere. Yep, uh, it's very. I have a fondness for it, uh, but again. That's and that was a Columbia picture. The Never Say Never Again, by the way, was a Warner Brothers picture. So these were like two big studios. So when when uh, the, these Bond movies we've been discussing so far were all MGM pictures. So you know, right. it was like MGM versus the other big daddy. Yep. And uh, probably why they couldn't suppress these other movies, I'm sure. So uh, now we go back get- to. Yeah. Back to Eon, back to MGM for V to a Kill. And, you know, we already talked about the theme song. And, again, strange casting and very 80s and day glow. So, to me, I didn't even think of it. I actually was surprised that it was the same year as Octopussy because I thought it would have been the same year as V to a Kill because they're very much the same. Oh, my God, this is so fucking 80s and so strange for Bond. Uh, in a way, they're both kind of like the most lighthearted of the Bond films uh, because who's in this thing? Christopher Walken. He's the baddie. I'm like, really? With bad, like, you know, blonded hair. Uh, more looking at his oldest by far. You know, we mentioned last time he suddenly came back looking old. He aged even more between Octopussy and this one, which is crazy. It's only two years. Tanya Roberts, who was, again, cast because she's pretty, but she was a dim bulb. Everybody knew this. She was in Sheena, which everybody made fun of. She was in Charlie's Angels. Everybody made fun of her season and her character. She was in The Beastmaster. Everybody knocks her in it. Grace Jones pops up, who I like a lot, not, not only as a disco and reggae type person, but you know, in stuff like Vamp, and even to some extent Conan the Destroyer, where she's really camping it up. But that's what she's doing here, too, is my type, is his personal lover and assassin. I mean, they even have this ridiculous thing where they're, um, was it fencing? I know they were fighting each other, her and Walken, and it it turned into like a sex scene. Yeah, but then it kind of get interrupted, so it's you know it's still safe for the the general audience. But it, it was like a very strange uh, dynamic and very very camped up. I mean, I think she's one of the high points of the movie actually. But it's like, what yeah. the hell? What were they thinking basically? And once again, we mentioned about how they appropriate Avengers and misuse them. All right, so they already took Kathy Gale, they already took Emma Peel. Why don't we take John Steed, Patrick McNeese, the damn thing? And he's basically uh. just. Like a schlub. I mean, he's out there in the beginning. I remember uh, he was going out as uh, – he calls himself Sinjin Smith, which uh, those of us in this country was like, well, what does that mean? Basically, he, he calls himself John Smith, like signed into a hotel under an assumed name. 
And that's when he was doing that, pretending to be you know, involved with the horses or whatever the hell to get close to Christopher Walken's character. This was his buddy who helped him in on that. Oh, yes, you know, he's my backup. I can vouch for this guy kind of a thing. And that was really it. He kind of drops out of the movie after that. Okay, yes, McNee at this point was pretty old. Was a, I think he's walking with a cane. You can see he's like kind of hobbling about a bit. But like, why? All right, I'm glad to see him in there, but – why why are you doing this? <laughs> Again, very strange choices. Um as a movie, I don't know it works all that well. Uh and talking about how eighties this was, anybody who remembers all those like shitty teen sex comedies like, you know, hard bodies and porkies and all that crap, Allison Duty shows up in here. That name may ring up some bells with people. I know it it ranks up for me. And Dolph Lundgren's in this in a bit part. He's he's just one of the henchmen, so he doesn't really say much. But you know, freaking Dolph Lundgren. I mean, Dark Angel, Showdown in Little Tokyo, Rocky Four, well, Masters of the Universe. Yeah, but he was he was he was Grace Jones' boyfriend for many years. That's why, right? So, that was yeah, why he's that's in it. Why he, that's why he's in it. Yeah. All, all the stuff, all the stuff you could say about Dolph. I think he's he's done a good job in in changing people's well. For those who are open minded, changing a lot of opinions <laughs> of him as years went by, because he's done a really good job in in trying to put forth a gleam of intelligence behind the behemoth that he is. You know? Yes, uh, no, I agree. I never no, thought he was like, the idiot they presented him as. He, no, he, even yeah. if you watch those films I just mentioned, I always do enjoy him in them. You know, especially as like an action star. If you're like, okay, I'm gonna watch a Chuck Norris movie. I'm gonna watch a Charlie Bronson movie. I'll watch a Dolph Lundgren movie. It's not like, okay, yeah, he comes off like he might be a big dumb guy, but he's really not. And you can tell right no, there. So. And on occasion, on occasion, I do find something where I get very impressed by him, which is. Uh, it's a little aside. It was something on Netflix, Skin Trade, with Joni, Tony Jaa, of all people. Right. And it's, I think it was 2015, and it was just brutal, and it was like, wow, this is a terrific movie. And, uh, yeah, Dolph Lundgren's really, really working on it. comic, uh, I want to say comic timing, because he, hit the, uh, I mentioned Showdown in Little Tokyo, him and Brandon Lee, that was a good buddy movie. I mean, one of the better ones, yeah. actually. The dynamic was excellent. A lot of laughs in that one, and you know, unfortunately, Brandon passed on not too long after that. But they could have made a, they could have kept that going as sort of like a, a series of buddy films if they wanted to do that. They could have. They yeah. definitely work well together. So yeah, that's all I had to say on this one. Unless you got more. No, that's, I, I agree. We're done with that one. Uh, so now there's a bit of a delay. Again, not much, two years, but. What I think was going on behind the scenes, and this is just you know from living through this at the time and hearing rumors and stories and whatever, uh, I've mentioned back on I think it was uh, for your eyes only that one of the cast members was at the time Pierce Brosnan's wife, and mm-hmm. they had you know met with Cubby Broccoli just in the course of whatever. And I think they had the idea that, look, Roger Moore's kind of getting on here. Once he goes, you know, maybe we can cast this guy as Bond. The problem was at the time, he was still involved with a pretty bad show, but it was the one that actually made his name for him, which was Remington Steele with uh, Stephanie Zimbalist, uh, where he was actually the – she hired him to be the face of the agency because nobody could accept a female detective uh, or spy or whatever the hell she was supposed to be. You know, very 80s, cheesy conceit, very much for the ladies. It was like a lifetime-type show almost. Scarecrow, Mrs. King kind of a thing, I guess. Uh, but he was locked into a contract with them at the time that they were going to film the next Bond movie. And instead of just waiting for him or whatever, 
they just kind of said, all right, well, we'll do something else to hold – like a holding pattern like they did with uh, Under Majesty's Secret Service with Lazenby, you know, hoping that Connor would come back. I think Dalton was the um, placeholder. Okay, let's do him for now, see how it works out, and hopefully by then you know, we can well, make Casper well, Austin. I wanted to interject just two quick things okay. in here. The irony for Pierce is that uh, – or regarding Pierce is that at this time, Remington still starting to – Plummet in the ratings. Yes. So when they they held him to his contract, I felt bad for the guy. You know, it's like, oh, that's fucked up. Because the the series is teetering on the edge of being canceled. Um, its viewership is dropping. They've already been on the air for a few years, and that's the kind of thing. Like, uh, I show I was aware of it. I might have seen a few heart to heart. You know, it's like, like formula yeah. that you could only do for a little while before it's like, geez, it's enough. You know. <laughs> and uh, unfortunate for the guy, he could have been bond earlier, but they they kept him to this contract. Now right. with Timothy Dalton, he was one of the people when they got Lazenby back way back when. He was one of the people that they had considered back then, but he wanted to stay really? attached to the theater. Yes. Okay. Um, because he's primarily a theatrical actor back then. Yeah, that's what I knew about. He was a song and dance man, and he was involved with Mae West, which is how he got uh, into Sextet, that horrible movie that was <laughs> done at the well, end of her career. Films. Yeah, but he was a you know Shakespearean actor. Wuthering Heights, 1970. You know, that's he uh, became a, a big image, uh, but then he goes right back to the theater and doesn't really do much movie-wise for a long time. And so they probably went back to their roster, you know, they test footage a lot of people. John Richardson, Black Sunday. John Gavin, from one of the, who did a few Euro spy movies, who became an ambassador. I didn't even know about him. Yeah, they, were, they test footage a lot of people. So, you know, you're also looking at American actors, too. And, um, very, they probably just went back to, like, you know, Dalton still, what does Dalton look like now? Oh, all right. <laughs> Let's do another one. And, you know, boom, you got it. Right. And there's another strange thing going on here, if, if, you're, if you're done. I'm not sure if you still have more to say there. Oh, yeah. There's another strange thing going on here, which was at the time, okay, you know, getting into a little history for those who weren't there, the AIDS epidemic had kind of been kicking around in the gay community since around 1980. Uh, and there was a lot of people mysteriously dying, and they couldn't figure out what it was. And then they did, and there was some politics behind it, especially under Reagan, where it's like, oh, who cares? You know, they're just gays anyway. We don't really give a damn if they're dying until it started spreading out to a more mainstream populace. And all of a sudden, everybody was getting this thing. And it became a big scare. You know, I was in high school at the time. There was a lot of, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Almost like Christian scare film type stuff about the AIDS virus. And, you know, before it was like, oh, herpes and gonorrhea and stuff. And now all of a sudden, no, this is going to kill you. Uh, and they started getting like that no glove, no love crap. And, you know, it went on and on forever after this. But 87 was like the height of this. And so what they do, they say, well, Bond may be a little bit too out of date, you know, sleeping with all these women at the height of the AIDS epidemic. We can't really be putting that out there, which I think is a silly decision. It's fantasy. But nonetheless, they decided to make Bond a, quote, one-woman man. All right, mistake number two after picking Dalton, which I think was a mistake. But okay, he certainly wasn't a bad-looking guy. He certainly looked like he fit the part, uh, even though he's a little rubber-faced for my taste. Problem number three, though, was 
they got back to more of a Cold War aesthetic because you know increasingly, especially under Moore, they got more and more pushing the envelope that was established by things like Goldfinger and by Thunderball, you know, where they got bigger and bigger and more silly with the conceits. So it became almost comedy under under Moore. All of a sudden, I was like, okay, we're going to make this take it back and make it very serious. But it became this stupid, you know. Uh, okay, yes, we were still kind of at the height of the Cold War, too, under Reagan. I mean, we never knew if he was going to push the goddamn button, and, you know, Russia was really up our ass, and they were changing people left and right. And, uh, who was it, Andropov, that was, like, uh, prime minister for two yeah. days over there, premier, and then mysteriously disappeared? I mean, that kind of stuff was going on on their end as well. So it was a scary time to be alive for a lot of reasons. The people don't remember this that weren't there, obviously. You know, younger kids just think, oh, they see the day glow and forget about it. But they decided, okay, let's make it about, you know, the Cold War and make it all very serious, hardcore. He's going to go into Russia and he's a defector and all this kind of crap. Then they got they pick a woman. Okay, who's going to be the star for this? He's one woman man. They pick all right. Her little sister Olivia Diablo. I think she's a cute girl. I met her in person. Little tiny thing. Uh, she was in Conan the Destroyer. A little bit, eh, a little too girlish and obnoxious maybe, but she was very pretty and likable and whatever else. Her older sister Mariam. Uh, the appeal is not there. Let's put it that way. She's going around with a lampshade haircut, which was probably popular at the time with all the yuppies that were watching like 30-something. And she's got these enormous fucking eyebrows that are like worse than Burt's unibrow on Sesame Street. Uh, They're like sticking out all over the place, like the juice man. And she's just, I don't know, she, she irritates me. Even watching it again recently, I'm like, God, she's a horrible choice. Why did they pick her? And if they were going to put her in, okay, put her in as a Bond girl, not as the lead and the only one. Just a freaking news. And they wrote the character. She's being a pain in the ass the whole time. And he's got to go around. She's got her cello because, oh, wait, now they're so that Bond is sensitive because you know she's a cellist. And her main concern is to do her little performances. And like, really? It just... You know, it wasn't as bad as what came immediately after. By far, it was much better than what came afterwards, right? But it just, on that one. All right. it just didn't work. Well, at the time, I felt the same way as you. I'm like, oh, this at least this one's more Americanized and whatever, but we'll get there. It's just not a good movie in a lot of respects. I mean, if you like that kind of uh, what do you want to call it? Not John Grisham, but that kind of hardcore Cold War. Uh, who was the guy that Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Uh, you know, those kind of books. Oh, like, then, like, yeah, like you'll, you'll love this kind of stuff if you are into that John Le Carre kind of stuff. There's a couple of things that I thought were interesting, interesting casting. John Reese davies who I loved from Shogun, and uh, he was in some other odd things. So he was in I, Claudius for one, but he was in other things like Waxwork and, you know, the King Solomon's Mines from Canon Films, which is ridiculous. He's like the new head of the KGB type thing. Right? Okay, fine. You got Joe Don Baker, who is like, yeah, he's a joke, but I always got a kick at him. Some stuff like, you know, Golden Needles and Mitch and joysticks and walking tall. You know, and and sure you know what? They, Joe Don Baker actually managed to transition over to the Boston series, which was interesting, too. Yes, he did. Remember that? And yeah, yeah. I guess he did. And he's actually, for me, I mean, okay, yes, I am a Joe Don Baker fan. I get a kick out of the guy. I really found it hilarious when he told the Mystery Science Theater people, if he ever sees him, he's going <laughs> to fucking kill him. I mean, not literally, but he's going to go take him out back and like beat him over the head with a two-by-four because uh, that's the kind of guy he is. He's like a good old boy. And he's like, don't give me no shit, boy. So he's there doing what would have been you know, in the 70s, in the Moore films, it would have been another J.D. Pepper kind of role. But he's not that. He's you can take him more seriously. He's just very much Joe Don Baker. 
And so, you know, I get a kick out of walking around. He's like, I think it's later on with the Brosnan series where he's walking around his Hawaiian shirt and his flip flops and crap. Yeah, hey, I'll, I'll get you some. I'll get some Marines over there. Take you a transport down that way, boy. And come on, bring some girls back for me. Okay, you know that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So you either love that or hate that. I love it, but uh, I thought that worked. You had another thing that worked really well is they changed up money pennies because Lois Maxwell she had gotten, you know, she was, she was there since the beginning. She had gotten on. And it became more of like, really, this was your romance issue. She's more like his mother. Uh, so they got this girl, Carolyn Bliss, who's a very pretty blonde with glasses, you know, like a nerd girl type. And I'm like, oh, this is really good. This is kind of believable. I like that. Yeah, but that's good. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. she was only there for two movies, and then they get rid of her. And they got another Money Penny who does not work, but that's another story. Uh, we'll get there. So that worked as well. And strangely, just there's a big piece, a uh, big character. Uh, Virginia Hay, those of you who like Farscape, you know, Zahn, the, the alien plant life or whatever the hell, was coming off her roles as she was in a lot of Euro skin flicks and stuff, like Cinemax type stuff and Jollos, you know, sexy Jollos. Right. Here she is, you know, as basically, uh, what's his face, his mistress, uh, Reese Davies' mistress, which was strange, but okay, fine, it works. So I have no issues with the casting other than the main cast. And, you know, I will say that, again, I thought that this time around, which is one of the changes, because I hated this film with a vengeance for you know years from 1987 when it came out till just when we saw it again with the Blu-rays. I was like, well, okay, the film still sucks. I still do not like Dalton. I don't like the fact that they got more grim and gritty, which will get worse in the next film. I don't like the Cold War stuff. I certainly don't like Mario Diablo. But, you know, some of the casting really works, and... Compared to what came afterwards, this time around, it worked a lot better for me. So go ahead, because I know you already feel the exact opposite. So go for it. Well, where did we get to the next Dalton picture? But uh, yeah. this, I, I like Dalton. Uh, I, I, he has a certain gravitas to him. Uh, he has a certain earthiness. I give him lots of props for actually reading all the bloody books before doing the show. Um and actually trying to grasp onto what Fleming was trying to do with the character, maybe taking it a little too seriously, but mm-hmm. I think I, I, I give him a lot of credit for doing that. You know, not a lot of actors do it, but that's, you know, it's a guy, a theatrical guy. So, you know, he does a lot of theater, so he's, like, going to look at it from an entirely different perspective. Um, right. Yeah, he's, he's, he's handsome as hell, square-jawed, and yet... And yet he looks. That was the problem with me with this picture. Is it was a little too light. And and yeah, I had problems with Diablo too. Actually, I interviewed her and mm-hmm. her sister with Luciana Paluzzi. Talk about a trio of people. <laughs> and uh, it was <laughs> really funny. It was like, uh, so what are your? Oh, it was wonderful. What a great experience. That's what they all say. What can they remember? Half a ton they probably can't remember. But uh, she remembered, like, flying down in the snow, and that's probably because she had a lot. But, um, yeah, I had problems with her, but, you know, I also had problems with that character and how they, you know, legend is, I don't know how true this is, is that even though it took a few years to get greenlit, that they kind of rushed it into production, and it kind of shows in places. So... I like I like it. I like it. It's got faults. Nearly every movie does that we like. Yeah. I really like the next one. 
Yeah, and I got to say again, because I know we had uh, some feedback from some people saying, oh, yeah, you know, my show is so negative. Well, if you want the really positive stuff, go back and listen to our first Bond show where you know we're operating more off of, at least for myself, older memories, and it basically spins rather positive. And I was surprised when I watched the Blu-rays that films that I didn't like the first time around this time really latched on to me. Like, you know, some of this one. I thought this – I always hated this film. I was like – well, this one's actually a lot better than License to Kill uh, and doesn't hold up that badly except for things that I just mentioned. And the theme songs, yeah, I have the disc of most of these themes that I've played for years and years since my early 20s, for God's sakes. It's just there are problems with every one of them, and certainly as you get later into the series. So you know, it was more to compare and contrast. And so, yeah, you're going to hear more negativity this time around because last time we were very positive. And you're also going to hear the changes. So that was the idea of these shows. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about this one before we move on. So uh, next up came License to Kill. And it's, you know, again, two years later, for some reason, I think there was actually a budget cut. And my wife picked it up right away. It's like, wow, did they run out of money or something? What the hell are they doing? They decided to film this thing. I don't know if it actually was mostly in America, but it felt that way. And possibly some, like, islands, like, not even, like, exotic islands. We're talking about more, like, you know, Mexico or South America, kind of, like, more dicey where it's, like, a lot cheaper to work. Basically, they decided to – the problem that a lot of people, including myself, have with Dalton stuff is that, okay, yeah, they're trying to go back to the books a bit. But this does not feel, to me, like an Ian Fleming book. It doesn't feel like Bond. It feels like he could be any fucking spy out there, which is something we get much more with Craig later. We'll get to that shortly. He doesn't feel like Bond in – in this movie, he's basically it's a revenge story, like almost like a crime. Uh, you know, if you watch a lot of stuff like not even like The Godfather, but a lot of Charlie Bronson films, for example, you know, revenge films, action films of the period, this feels like one of those, but without the colorful campiness. It's very gritty, with a few exceptions. You know, they got Wayne Newton in the damn thing. How gritty can you get? But uh, you know. The problem with this is Felix ostensibly gets killed. I, I know there's a surprise at the end. If you haven't seen it by now, then you know, tough. Uh, but you know, and his wife, who is again, we gotta get to the weird casting. His wife gets killed by you know mobsters that are after him. And Bond basically goes renegade and spends the whole movie running away from MI6. They tell him to turn in his gun. He runs away from them. You know, the whole deal. He's essentially you know going against the cops and doing whatever. It's like an American action movie. He's like, he's like the renegade cop, the tough cop that's going to get revenge on the, the guy that screwed over his buddy. And there's Mexican drug lords who are played by some very bad actors. You know, it's just a terrible fucking movie. And I remember the last time around, I'm pretty sure that I said I liked it a lot better than Living Daylights because it didn't have all that Cold War stuff and because of my problems with, like you said, I think it's more of Mario Diablo's character than her herself, even though I'm not fond of her personally. You know, this was more lively in that respect. But it's also a lot darker. It's a lot more violent. For comparison, you can go to the Colin Baker era of Doctor Who, how it suddenly went and tripped the line into you know, pushing people into acid and using guns and trying to strangle the companion. Like, whoa, what the hell is this? This is what it was like for Bond. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Is this Bond? Is this the same guy that Roger Moore and Sean Connery did? Get out of here. You got Robert Davi, who's always kind of a bit actor, playing this drug lord, and it's so over the top. And his bad Mexican accent, it's almost as bad as uh, Al Pacino doing Scarface. Like, really? You're welcome to my little friend. Get the fuck out of here. And we mentioned earlier Talisa Soto, who was Vampirella. That was her big uh, claim to fame. Again, 
for some reason, Dalton had big bushy eyebrows himself. Maybe they wanted to cast women who looked just like him. Okay, he's got big bushy eyebrows. Let's get one with even bigger bushy eyebrows. So she's almost as bad, or maybe even worse. I can't remember which. Then uh, Diablo was like, oh my god, this guy's horrible. And yet, at least Diablo. Well, okay, if you're into like lampshade haircuts and you know more sensitive whatever is a little bit you know a pain in the ass, you might like that kind of girl. This one here is just hateful through the whole movie. She was obnoxious and snapping at everybody and just being a bitch throughout. I can't stand her. Anthony Zerby, who was another strange choice, the guy from The Omega Man, and he's the Betty and Kiss Meets the Family of the Park. Those of you who saw that one, he's in this as one of the henchmen. And I think he's actually the one, because one of the guys there was kind of. I hate to say homoerotic, but he had kind of a weird relationship with Bond where he really had to kill him. He was, really was offended by him. I'm like, yeah, there's something a little strange oh, going was on. That, was that Benicio Del Toro? Oh, Benicio yeah. Del Toro, that's it. Yeah, oh, boy. Horrible. Yeah. Wayne Newton's in it, which is actually one of the high points for Mavis because it's kitsch. Uh, but, you know, he's not in it for that long. He's kind of in there as a huckster who's tangentially involved with the drug trade. And he's actually like a televangelist. So, again, making fun of stuff of the time, I was okay with it. I still do enjoy him in this. Let's see. Uh, who else was in this? Davis Hedison was lighter, okay, which is good. Came back to do that role. And the last weird bit of casting that I mentioned earlier, who was Hedison's wife? Who was Felix Leiter's wife that got killed right in the beginning? Priscilla Barnes? You know, Three's Company? Uh, she was in a, a couple of Billy Blank's Jalal Murphy films, like Counts of the Eagle. Uh, she was, he was a witch academy for uh, Fred Olin Ray. This is the kind of talent you're picking? Seriously? This woman was on Howard Stern all the time, talking about her sex life. And here she is, you know, showing up in a Bond film. So the, the casting was very much bizarre and at odds. On one hand, it was trying to be campy and funny and very 80s and big, though. On the other hand, you've got this violent, mean-spirited, you know, action revenge film that does not in any way feel Bond. I just, at the time, I thought it was better because it was more lively and more familiar to American sensibilities than the previous film. But, ah, I I watched it again. I'm like, this film blows. So, go ahead. Your turn. I really like it. I like the hell out of it. I really like Dalton in this. I, uh... Like the whole revenge thing, yes, it was very akin to American pictures of the 70s, although this is late 80s, um, but uh, I, I, I I liked it. I, I didn't find as much fault with Robert Davi. I thought Robert Davi was fine. At, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, you got to take these things. Yeah, you got to take some of these things with a grain of salt. I love oh, that it was so proto-violent, hyper-violent. Yes. Actually, that that Wiley Coyote fucking <laughs> mono a mono ending for this yep. picture. It's the start. It starts in the uh, when uh, Bond just goes hyper nuts and you know just going uh, after Benicio and everybody else, and then they're on top of the trailer, the trailer, the, the tanker, and they're just beating the hell out of each other. It's like. You have not, if, you know, all, all the way up to this point, you have not seen something like that in a Bond movie. No, and, not at all. And my understanding is that it was threatened with an R rating, which would have been yes. the first. It would have been the first Bond movie rated R. And there's a couple of them surprised weren't, like Casino Royale. But um, I like it. I, I I have a spot, a spot for sadism. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, I really picture I uh, it's not without its fault. Yeah, 
I have to agree with you about Taliso Soto. She actually looks kind of butchy, and yeah. she looks kind of... Well, in the same lampshade haircut, mind you, so they carried that yeah, over yeah. as well. I don't have a problem with the actress being butchy. You know, don't get me wrong, folks. <laughs> I'm all for, for... No, I don't. I, you know, uh, if she was playing a lesbian character that bomb on Oh, that's different. That, it, that she's would supposed be to be there as eye candy for the guys. The, the guys are supposed to want to fuck him. That's the whole point yeah, of the and, Bond and, and film. And, was, and nobody would want to fuck her. Well, that was the thing. No, unless it was another woman, then that would have been cool. Right, but, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it was just a weird thing. And, and actually, how she was set up to portray that was kind of weird because she, she, I guess her directorial so instruction. Yeah, she was just so unlikable that you didn't fucking care. She lived to die. But, um, that they injected some sadism, though, with uh, Robert Dabney's oh, yeah. character uh, and towards the women, which was like, hey, what's going on here as well? Yeah. So, uh, I, I, and when he did the lighter, he did the Felix lighter, too. Yes. So, I, yeah. I, I like it. I like it. It's, it's an unusual movie. Before Eon decided, hey, you know, we, we went too far. Let's put this into turn around for a bit. Now, here's the thing. I kind of feel that, in a way, they fucked poor Timothy Dalton because he signed a contract for several movies, and then they put it into turnaround for a while. He's waiting to make a third picture, and then Pierce is available finally, and they go back to Timothy, and they say, we've decided to reinvent the series. Yep. And without you. (laughs) Which is kind of sucks, you know. Um, <laughs> and he was a bit bitter, but then again, they did that to Pierce as well. So, yes, they, uh, they kind yeah, of my actual, Yeah, my take on the exact thing you just said, because you probably know more of the background. I'm, I'm, that's the version to go with is what he just said. But my take on this always was, you know, Dalton and the way they went with his direction was so fucking bad. Whether you like it or not, they realized that they made a huge-ass mistake, and they put it on hiatus for how long? Six years. We had never, never seen a six-year break with a Bond series before this. They were always within, you know, two to three years, no matter what was happening, whether well, we're going people were coming or now. going. Or, do you yes, know we are. That? I, we're yes, going we that way now. They, as far as I can tell, they're not even thinking about one, which is a bunch of horseshit. I'm sure they are. But yep. they, they're thinking about what, uh, whether we do one more with Craig or whether we go – I don't think they will because they're trying to hold him to the contract, but he really doesn't want to go. But we'll get there. Um, But yes, this enormous break. So it's like you got to wonder. It's like something really went wrong here. The critics didn't like it. There was a lot of negative reaction, like you mentioned, about threatening with the R rating. Uh, The sadism was unpopular with people. The Americanized revenge thing is like, wow, this isn't a Bond escape. Because Bond films are supposed to be about escapism. You know, as much as we knock them for good or bad before this, uh, or love them, you know, whatever the case may be, they're escapism. They're cartoony. They're fun. They're supposed to let you forget your life. They're supposed to put you in this world where here's the miraculous super superhero super agent who can do anything fucking thing he wants, and he'll always get out no matter how bad the villains are, and he's always going to bag a bunch of beautiful girls, and everything's going to be fine, and that's going to be your you – know, you put yourself in that position, and the ladies are supposed to put themselves in the position of, oh, look, here's this handsome man who could do anything, and you know, I could be with him too, and you know, wouldn't that be great? All right, 
And then here you've got a film like this that is nothing like that. Whether you think Dalton's handsome or not, uh, or you know, like the Butch Crawl that's such a bitch or not, you know, Tulsa Soto. The the bottom line is, it's not that kind of a film in any respect. You know, forget about the one woman man of the previous film. This is just a revenge film and a sadistic, nasty revenge film about like you know, drug mules and stuff. Like really, it's like I said, it's very Godfather in a respect without the gravitas or the good story. So they just shot them in the foot with this one and back way the hell off so you know whether you like the film or not the fact is they said holy shit we made a huge mistake fuck this and just put the whole thing more or less in the can so all right that's it we're not making any more until we figure out what we want to do again so again six years later here they go and they're back with uh pierce brosnan now the problem with this for for most people, not for me because I like him still in the Roth, I think he was good. I actually think when I watched these Blu-rays recently that he holds up as the best Bond other than the early Connery. You know, once you get to a certain period, Connery was really kicking in around Thunderball up until when he left. Uh, he really is the best of them. It, it, this movies he made for their faults and merits held up the best, with the exception of the last one. We'll get to that. Nonetheless, he was aging. You know, this was a little bit too late for him, and people recognized that right off, that he was kind of getting past his prime. And I thought, you know, before you mention what you did, we'll get there, that the reason that he didn't do any more than the four films he did was he figured, you know, maybe I'm a little bit too old to be you know, jumping through hoops here and doing these crazy stunts. Uh, as you're saying, the, the case is probably very different, but nonetheless, that was the impression that was given off. Anyway, GoldenEye is a really good film with a couple of major flaws, the biggest one being CG. CG, I'm sorry, I hate it, no matter what they do with it, and here it is so bad and so dated. I actually, when I was uh, you know, hanging around with like Mark Polonia and those people with Third Eye early on, I had you know, paid a visit to the guy you know, at his home, and he was showing me some stuff that he was working on. And he was you know, basically you know, home computing, putting in effects in and stuff like that. Okay, he's you know, a, a low-budget SLV film director, and he put in digital effects – that look just as good, if not better, than what you see in Goldeneye. That says something. I'm sorry. Uh, I know it was, you know, whatever it is now, 15, 20 years ago, but bad, bad CG. It does not hold up. Really is embarrassing. It looks terrible. And it's very distracting, which is the bottom thing. It pulls you out of the film and the enjoyment thereof, just seeing, like, who are these freaking keyboard monkeys and why do they waste money on this crap? Couldn't they have done a practical effect? But nonetheless, Pierce Brosnan's in it. Uh, there's another thing where, again, Russia's the bad guy. Okay, that's typical, but still, you know, we're getting a little old for this. Still going to do this. Sean Bean, whoever makes a big stink about, is in this one. I did not like him at all. Uh, he's like the baddie. Famke Jansen, I know last time I made a hell of a lot of fun of her for this Xenia on a top thing, which is very, very. Uh, there's a resurgence in a kind of a proto-feminism in the 90s, uh, you know, that little affair crap and, you know, people like Meredith Brooks, I'm a bitch, I'm a whore, you're a goddess on the floor, and all that crap, whatever. Uh, it was nonsense. But she was kind of playing into that or speaking to it in a, um, the way that a Bond film would by making it this over-the-top, you know, anybody that tries to screw her, you know, she gets off on basically castrating men, uh, literally. And that was really freaking cheesy as a character, and I'm like, oh my god, this is awful. But watching it again, okay, she's not as good as she would be very shortly in the X-Men as you know, Jean Grey and all that. But she – if you don't mind the fact she's seriously camping it up, which you would have to with a character that's written like that, uh, with that's the conceit, and she really does camp it up. It's totally over the top. 
she's just not that terrible. I mean, last time around, I really hated her. I was like, okay, she's pretty enough, considering how stupid this fucking idea is. All right, you know, it works, I guess. You know, if, if you really kind of keep your tongue in your cheek and have a couple of drinks and try not to get too upset. Joe Don Baker's in it again. Goodbye, me. Robbie Coltrane shows up in this as uh, – he ends up doing a couple of the Brosnan ones as this kind of Russian gangster that he knows, which is fun because, you know, I liked him in Cracker, and, of course, he was in that horrible Nuns on the Run, things like that. Uh, British character actor, big fat guy. You'll recognize him right away. Uh, again, very tongue-in-cheek and whatever, but fun. Uh, and, the problem and, and is here. And, and Minnie Driver, of all people, has a bit yes. of art. She has a bit part as his girlfriend who's like a, a talentless stripper dancing on stage and trying to sing, and he basically shuts her up. Yeah. Actually, Bond makes a comment about like you know who strangled the cat while she's singing. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, oh, don't you say that. You know, he's like, uh, shoots a gun off, and he tells her, get the hell off the stage. <laughs> so, you know, one hand, he's like threatening Bond. The other hand, he's yeah, like, get yeah, out of here. She, she, was, she was the flavor of the moment. Right. And it's a strange person to have in her because she was the... <laughs> Well, no, she was the art house flavor of the moment, if you remember. It was like, you know, Merchant Ivory films and shit. Yes, very briefly. And here she is playing basically a dumb bimbo. Yeah, you know, you got art house person here, like Merchant Ivory films and whatever the hell. And she's here (laughs) as like this dumb bimbo comedy character. I mean, she was never attractive, so it's not like that kind of an issue anyway. But it's just a weird role to see her in. She was never attractive. (laughs) It's a weird role to see her in, but you she know it's amusing enough. She cherubic cheeks, you know, and and you know, <laughs> like a chipmunk. <laughs> That's the problem. Uh, well, but, no, uh, you couldn't imagine like Mini Driver blowing you or something like that, no. Oh <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> I That's why I love the show. Uh, <laughs> but problems here is first off. Beyond the CJ, who shows up in this but Alan Cumming? All right, you know, you usually like Alan Cumming, you know, Nightcrawler or whatever the hell. He's in a couple other movies. He's usually decent. He's fucking annoying here uh, as, like, uh, what the hell is he? Uh, is this the one where he's the computer tech? Uh, yeah. Awful. I really I, – I just wanted to smack him upside the head. My God. I mean, I know he's supposed to be the bad guy, but he's supposed to be kind of like the comic relief, and it's not funny. It's just annoying. Uh, and she's, he's got this whole thing against uh, the Bond girl who's really, again, not attractive. This, this nobody named uh, Isabella Skorupko, who basically is a better hacker than him. And that's the whole conceit. You know, he, he thinks he's the best because he's the guy and he's got all his pride on the line. And she's better than him and he can't handle it and he ends up getting killed and whatever well, she else. She had great legs. <laughs> I really get the impression sometimes that you can find the, the positive part about every woman that's like, eh, you know, I wouldn't touch her with 12 foot pole. Oh, yeah, but she had a great whatever. <laughs> it's good. No, I, I, uh, I actually, no, I, I did not think she was too horrible. I don't know whatever happened to her. Oh, that's a It was nothing. And again, it was one of those situations where, to some extent, not as much, where she comes off and she's really tough and butch and whatever the hell. But then as soon as she gets involved with Bond and he fucks her, now she all of a sudden she's a little pussycat. And she's like, oh, never really submissive, but a lot more, you know, humanized. I'm like, all right. You know where to go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) again, maybe I'm sleeves. I love this show. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, but, that's, but uh, that's, that's called reality, you know. It's like 
I won't even go out with you. Don't have to fuck him. It's different. It, Sundere character, if, you, if those even know anime. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, well, that was good. And, and, uh, and if you happen to be Pierce Brosnan, well. Uh, <laughs> oh, Pierce Brosnan is a good-looking freaking guy. I mean, it, that's the kind of thing He's where it's like. Good looking. You know, that guy is still good-looking. Where it's like, looking. the guy's a good-looking guy. You can't deny that. <laughs> See? See? Uh, oh, my God. Don't tell Blakefield Pool. Um <laughs> Oh yes, like real pool. Holy shit! Uh, I, my oh, chiropractor, who's gay, like, oh yeah, you know, I, I got these things from Vinegarson in a review, and like, they're sending me freaking gay pornos now. What the hell's going on? So like, someone's Wakefield pool stuff, and he's kind of giving me like a weird eye, like you know, like the arched eyebrow. I'm like, I don't know. What the hell you want me to do? They sent me in a review. I reviewed them. <laughs> hey, my thing. He knew who Wakefield pool was. Huh? Yes, he did. Oh yes, he did. Uh, yeah, I just uh, got some more. Um. <laughs> More Wakefield pool. So, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> are, are, you, are you done with this picture? Yes, if, if you are. Okay. Uh, it, yes, but, but, um, it was a good picture, despite the flaws yeah, yeah. that we meant. It's really good. Uh, yeah, it's it's got flaws, but, you know, it's really good. Uh, Martin Campbell, you know, previously had directed uh, a David Warbeck sex movie, you know, one of those slap and tickle things you like. And, um, oh, what, Sex Thief? Yeah, the Sex Thief. And, um, oh, yeah, that's a dry one. <laughs> and, and something else. And it, I just, you know, they gave the guy a shot, and you know what? He, he, he knocked it out of the park. You know, he, this is like one of those weird anomalies where a director who you wouldn't think would knock something out of the park, and like, holy shit, he did a good job from the beginning of that Hoover Dam type scenario where Bond like... Oh, the bungee jump? Um, yeah, yeah, when Bond bungee, bungee jumps down that damn thing. You know, really, lots of cool set pieces. Uh, uh, Sean Bean. Sean Bean, who I always thought would be a good candidate for the role of Bond. But he was a lousy villain. He was an okay villain. Yeah, he wasn't the biggest problem. Uh, who was that British actor that played the, the main villain, this Russian guy? Oh, uh, what the hell was his name? Hold on, yeah, Godfrey John, maybe? Yes, yeah, he, he, he was in a lot of stuff. He only recently passed. And um, he was pretty good, but he was over the top. You know, you, you get these British comedy guys and say, hey, you're going to be a Russian villain. Okay, I can do this. They're like, you, die. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of good stuff in here. Boston really does a, a very good job. And yeah, you know, we... Mentioned a minute ago, the guy looked great. The guy still looks great. He's, you know, he's how many years older? Hell, I, I'll I'll even sit through almost crap just to see him. Oh yeah, I saw it last year. Um, he played. Actually, he dies in the movie, but it was fucked up. With of all people, Owen Wilson. It was. I really? highly recommend this movie. It was made by the Pang Brothers. You remember the Pang Brothers? They did the eye. Yep. Okay. Owen Wilson and family. He's been outsourced, so he goes to fucking Thailand. Okay. And there's suddenly a revolution, political upheaval. He's got to get the fuck out of town. And right away, things go really from bad to, oh, shit, bad. And then Pierce pops up out of nowhere as this kind of booze hound guy, like, hey, buddy, I can help you. You know, British uh, expatriate. Right. He's an agent who's been left there to do whatever. He's, like, gone to see 
He's trying to help these people out. The tension in this movie is so good. Owen Wilson. And you get to the point where you're like, wow, nobody's going to do this. But I highly recommend this. And I'm like shocked that the Pang brothers did it. But at the same time, I'm like, well, it didn't get a theatrical. showed up like I almost skimmed over it looking for some other credits. I'm like, wow. It was pretty good. And Pierce looked great. So there we go. So, On to the next Pierce Brosnan picture. Next up, I mean, you can argue that Goldeneye might be his best, but just about as good or maybe better, depending on how you're looking at it, on a given day, Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, which is the one where they bring in none other than Michelle Yeoh, uh, who was a big Hong Kong heroine in stuff like, you know, Yes, Madam. Uh, she was in one or two of them, I think, with uh, Cynthia Rothrock, even who I interviewed the third eye. Um, she was in Super Cop with Jackie Chan, uh, Heroic Trio with the Nina Mui, the late Nina Mui. And uh, Maggie Chung, she was in Wing Chun, in the TV series Wing Chun, if you remember that pretty thing. You know, there's a problem here because, just you know, to go right into it, the same thing we mentioned about underutilizing the Avengers, okay, they do give her a few moments of at least wire work and a little bit of stunt work. Okay, the whole business on the bicycle, uh, the motorcycle, I should say, and the, the chase there, that was great. But other things, you know, they really don't use her to the fullest extent. I mean, you know, repelling down the, you know, that complex there, that didn't impress me. Uh, there's a lot of things where they could have done better, you know, the whole business in the sub. She's really not, I mean, you, you know she's capable, you know she can do some funky shit, but they don't make her the, um, I hate to say equal, but, you know, a, a worthy uh, match for Bond like she should be, given her credits or her abilities. And even the abilities that she shows in this film, to the extent they allow her to, she doesn't get enough screen time. Uh, I think she's gorgeous. I always liked her, just, you know, as an actress and as a person and whatever else. Uh, I, I liked her in this film. But nonetheless, she's not utilized as much as she could be or should have been. Uh, but, you know, okay, she's in there. They gave her some screen time. Once again, what's hot this year? Oh, Hong Kong movies. Okay, here, get, get her. Uh, and I think they made the right pick because you know, they could have picked Maggie but, Chung easily. But but, but they they were – yes, what year are we talking about here, 87? 97. 97. 97. 97, sorry. 97. So, yeah, it's already – it's already four what years I... after the peak, but still, they did pretty good by getting her. I was going to say, it depends how you look at it, because it was like anime, where we in the West here were discovering Hong Kong films from the 80s, in some cases from the early 80s, in the mid-90s, and that was when it was a craze. So they weren't too far off. You're right, it was probably about four years too late, but uh, nonetheless, it wasn't – if you're really looking back at, okay, when were these films made? Yeah, they're probably like a decade or 12 years old. Um, nonetheless, I thought they were pretty they're well. They're still doing her. that with Michelle Yeoh. They're still doing that. It's like she was in uh, The Mechanic with Jason Statham, The Mechanic sequel. Okay. Everybody got excited until they found out she was underutilized. Yep. And now Same she's here. in the new, the new Star Trek TV thing. Just like, why are you doing that? Don't you have a bunch of theatrical films going on? But uh, I'll, I'll be interested. And she'll probably wind up like, she'll probably wind up just like Jeffrey Combs. Like, oh look, Jeffrey Combs gonna be on Star Trek. Really? Well, what's he really doing? You know, nothing much. I mean, yeah, he's there. You can find him if you look, but it's not like it's a major character. So it'll probably be the same thing there. Uh, just at a guess. Uh, you hope for better, but you, know, but you know, you know, you know, one problem I have with this movie is Jonathan Price. Wow. 
Yeah. Wow. It's uh, basically it's kind of like uh, if you've seen I Zombie, they went with a it was kind of an '80s thing, but they're pushing it in the '90s, which is strange. Of the evil corporate mogul, he is the Steve Jobs, uh, Donald Trump sort of you know, asshole, uh, corporate, whatever. And actually, it's kind of prescient in a way, this film, because it goes right to the heart of Fox News and the Donald Trump thing, where he's inventing headlines and fake news for his own purposes. So he can take over the world by putting everybody into you know, a lather over bullshit that's not even happening. You know, oh, look, you know, Russia just bombed us so that they, we can get the U.S. to bomb Russia, and then he comes out on top through some whatever business deal or political deal he finagled behind the right. scenes. Exactly the same. He predicted Fox News. He predicted Donald Trump with this film. Yet, if you're looking at the film itself – I was like, well, that's kind of cheesy, and because it is happening in real time now, and we see it every day in our lives, it doesn't hold up so well. On the one hand, you can say, wow, that was prescient. On the other hand, you're like, yeah, but do we need to see this again? We're living it. You know, This isn't fantasy. It's kind of like watching Network or Idiocracy. There were supposed to be like comedies, and, oh, that's far-fetched. No, no, no. We're living it out. We've been living it out for years, and it's not funny because of that. It should be funny, but instead it's reality. So that's kind of the thing, and plus he's camping it up. Very much so. Uh, I didn't think he was a good villain at all. And, of course, he's sadistic. Once again, going back to Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> treats his women like shit. Once again, going back to Donald Trump. Um, well, yeah, but you know, I, I, give, I give any Bond movie that can make Terry Hatcher look doable good. Do you think so? No. All right, well, oh, you're right, because when she was in the corset or whatever the hell it was, when she was doing Bond in the bedroom, you're right. She did look good for Terry Hatcher. That was yes, going to say, the, the problem I have, yes. the problem I have with this movie is Terry Hatcher. And the fact that Michelle Yeoh's in it, but she doesn't get much time compared to all the fucking time they waste on Terry Hatcher and this fake-ass, you know, oh, look, I used to be a a romance for you, and you walked away, and it's your fault. Now you can come back, but it's too late because I'm married, and okay, I'll get involved with you again. That's going to get me killed. Who gives a fuck? Lois and Clark, I hated you there. So go ahead. Well, she looked good. (laughs) In that scene, she did, yes. Yes, see, see, I agree. Yeah. Her. As, yeah, as an actress, and I would guess as a person, because you know, she carries it over from role to role. Apparently, well, you, God, you, know, you know who else still had a, had a, a part as uh, wasn't it Thomas Kretschmann? He was Price's henchman. Who was that guy? Anyway, uh, Joe Don Baker's in it again. Again, goodbye me. Vincent Chevelli, yeah, yeah. which is so, a great choice. Gene Kelly? No, no. <laughs> No, no, Vincent Chiavelli, who was in stuff like Night Shift and Fast oh, Times yeah. at Ridgemont. He Basically, he's a weird-looking guy. Oh, really guy interesting, that... actually, very, how do you say, kind of sad little part there. Yes. Uh, the thing is, he impressed the hell out of me because here he is. He's usually a comedian or like used as the figure of fun, if you will, kind of like a Michael Berryman, I guess. In like, you know, oh look, here's that guy that twists his sister video that looks kind of odd and wiggles his ears, uh, or the guy from the hills has eyes. You know, he's kind of scary because he's weird looking. All right, Chevelli was like that, but without the scary part, he was always just kind of a comedy guy. And then he pops up in this, and he's got okay. You can certainly look at it as comic. It's kind of fay or whatever how he's doing this. He's like a German. Uh, assassin slash torturer who's like a mechanic and he sets up all these kills to look like you know there were accidents or suicides or whatever else and yet even though it's such a silly part he invests it with like you mentioned a little bit of pathos which you know you're kind of like oh that's kind of a story life this guy's got he invests it with a little bit of 
intimidation factor, like, okay, maybe this guy is a little more scary than he looks. You know, he might actually be doing something that I don't want to be involved with. Uh, I certainly don't want to be on the receiving end of this. And a little bit of comedy because it's kind of silly and, of course, Bond takes him out relatively easily considering. It's interesting, like, nuanced, as that I just pointed out, layered role. And it's basically a bit part from a guy that's, you know, an odd-looking comedy actor. So I was very impressed with him here. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was very impressive. Yeah, he got a lot of good. He got a lot of good comments on that that bit part. Yeah. One of the things, and I didn't mention it last time, is that Judy Dench started now as M, and that becomes a problem as we go on. Right now, it's not really too much of an issue. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that with the next film, I believe. And they had switched previously also with the uh, last Brosnan film, Goldeneye. They switched the money pennies. Again, she's not as attractive as the one they had before. It's like, how would she go? She was really cute. But it doesn't become a problem until two films up. So go ahead. Is there anything else you want to say about this one? Now, who's our money penny now? Samantha somebody? Samantha Bond. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough. Yeah, and you know <laughs> what? Just, just uh, oddly enough and surprisingly enough, uh, around the time this movie came out, who appears on Broadway, uh, short-lived production, uh, was Judy Dench and Samantha Bond in the same play, really? which I almost saw out of curiosity. So when 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 this movie Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, whatever the hell it's called, came out, yeah. they were on Broadway, and I was like, holy oh, shit, look at that, Money Penny and Emma in the same movie, uh, same play, and they're in the same movie. And uh, I thought Samantha Bond was interesting. Uh, well, she wasn't a problem yet. There's going to be a problem with her last role, last uh, appearance as Money Penny, but uh, it was just at this point it was ah, where's that cute girl? You know, and that was kind of it. All right, next so movie next is one, next movie is the world is not enough. Now I saw this in the theaters and liked it a lot. And at the time I was really into Sophie Marceau, who I still like. She's a pretty girl. I liked her in other stuff I've seen her in, like you know, Belfagor, Fan of the Louvre, and things like that. <clears throat> She's basically. A Patty Hearst figure, which is kind of problematic in itself, because she comes off like she's the victim, and she kind of was, but then she kind of gets Stockholm Syndrome and becomes the baddie and actually winds up offing the original baddies because she's even worse. That in itself is a really odd thing to do in a Bond film. It's a little bit too much of a, a heavy psychological drama sort of a thing as opposed to, oh, look, here's the, the escapism of Bond. It also brings a lot of sadism in once again. This is not something you saw with the Brosnan films thus far. Like, okay, well, she's playing a bit of a dominatrix, so I'm cool with that. But it was questionable in some ways. Uh, there's some things about it that don't ring right. Uh, nonetheless, okay, she's not really the problem otherwise. Uh, she's certainly attractive as hell. Uh, the problem is... They bring in Denise Richards, you know, this bubble-headed Charlie Sheen cast-off, who is the unlikely named Christmas Jones, don't make fun of my name, you know, as a fucking nuclear physicist. This girl could not read Bazooka Joe off a bubblegum wrapper without, like, stumbling over it, you know, doing it getting tongue-twisted, and she's supposed to be a nuclear physicist. Sorry, I don't buy it. Robbie Coltrane's back again for the second time in that same role. John Cleese shows up uh, very briefly. He's only here for like a couple of films as the successor to Q. It's actually the last time you see Desmond Llewellyn because he was pretty old. I think he passed very soon after this. And they gave him a cute send-off actually with you know, a bunch of girls like kind of all hawking over him. But nonetheless, the other problem here, I guess, is Judy Dench's M because now she starts to do a lot more of what you're going to see with the Daniel Craig era, which is 
okay, they decided let's be a little more whatever with the times progressive. Let's make M a woman. Okay, all right. So they're putting a woman in a position of power. It's pretty cool. Judy Dench, you know, she's a celebrated actress. You know, they actually knighted her and all that. That's why she's Dame Judy Dench. Uh, she was in some art house stuff. She's in all kinds of things. Problem is, she is. You know, okay, they get a, a woman in power, and what does she do? She fucks up left and right. She is the most flawed, flawed head of MI6 ever. I mean, it's like, oh my god, really? This is their uh, let's uh, let's make a concession and then like play Indian giver and pull it right back from under. Let's pull the carpet out from under it, uh, and it gets worse later. But in this film, her big mistake is she basically goes and plays right into the hands of the baddies, uh, putting herself in danger, effectively getting herself kidnapped. Uh, by being dumb. She's a head of MI6. You would think she would know better than this. You'd think she would send people out. You'd think she would vet things out. But no, she's somehow emotionally involved with Bond, which is bizarre in the first place. It almost goes beyond like the mother, mother-son relationship kind of thing they were ostensibly building up. It's like they had some kind of past, uh, which we'll see more with Craig. And she puts herself in danger. I'm like, what the hell? Who the, it's like, you know, it, it's kind of like the Trump thing. It's like, here's the president of the United States putting himself out there in the middle of a war zone because he's just an idiot. And really, you don't do that. Even the, the most you know, gung-ho presidents of the United States wouldn't do something so fucking dumb. They wouldn't allow them to because it would compromise and jeopardize you know, the entire agency, the entire country. But here she is doing it, and you have to wonder if it's because resented on some level the fact that, oh, look, we put a woman in power. All right, well, she's going to be a moron. So it ready is becoming a problem. Uh, but otherwise, I still like the film a lot. It's just – the other part about it is it's, it's based on like oil. So again, you're going around – this is around the time of the Iraq war and all that crap. So you know, blood for oil and all that shit with Bush uh, and Bush Sr. too. Uh, it's just – Timely in the wrong way. Once again, like going back to the video game thing or the the Cold War stuff that we were getting in the the late eighties and early nineties. Like, do we really need this now? Like, eh. it's kind of cheesy. But overall, the film still works. It's still not a bad Brosnan. So, go ahead. What's your take? <laughs> <laughs> I actually like this movie. You know, I, I I will admit to you, seeing it theatrically. When, well, I always do. Uh, seeing it theatrically when it first opened up and saying it was okay. Oh, I liked it in the theater. No, no, my when I say okay, I mean I enjoyed it. I wasn't so overwhelmed with it. And then uh, as I see it, I revisit it like every few years, and I actually like it more than I did originally. And yeah, I'm huge Sophie Marceau fan. I could take her. Yeah. Um, oh, I love her. And, and and Robert Carlyle, same thing there, although I really, you know, that fucking, which I should take another look at again, that, uh, what's that zombie movie, uh, that, what's his name, Dennis? Um Which one, 28 Days Later? Yeah, gosh, I mean, talk about a bravura performance, you know, the mm-hmm. guy looks, the way he looks, you know, it's like an everyman, you know, that kind of like, just thin, scrawny, like he won't last five minutes in certain conditions, you know, and 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 yeah, you know, that was kind of that kind of movie made me take notice of him, and so because I really I hate Train Spotting, I won't even go there, but I, <laughs> I, I like some of the director's other work, so um, right, including the very strange recent movie he made with Ewan McGregor, and, and oh my god, anyway, so uh, <laughs> so not the world's biggest Robert Carlyle fan, but I liked him in this and. It's very twisted, and it's, you know, it's directed by Michael Apted. You know, this is where um, 
Barbara Broccoli now is taking total control over the Bond Canon. Right. Production Big Cheese. And uh, along with Michael Wilson, who heretofore was just dabbling on scripts and uh, doing some uh, tinkering. And uh, and that's the problem, but we'll go there. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and so, yeah, Wilson and Broccoli, you know, they're they're running the whole show now. They got Michael Apted, who's, you know, decent director, uh, some good credits. He's really chiefly known and highly regarded for these documentaries he makes. 13 up, 21 up, 32 up, whatever, which he revisits the same people every 10 or 12 fucking years. And they're an unsavory bunch of people. We don't fucking care, really, but uh, I guess if you're British, it makes more sense. You know, uh, so no knock on the Brits there, but, you know, these, these are people that are, like, have tough lives. <laughs> so um, anyway, um, so they got Michael Apted in for this, and uh, so we got, like, a director of note. The previous director for uh, Tomorrow's Never, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies was Roger Donaldson. Also was not a schlop. You know, he was like, you know, he had done some decent work at this time. Uh, he did the, a couple of Mel Gibson movies, and uh, and I think he was an Aussie, too. So uh, it was interesting. They're starting to choose a little different people, which we, right. as I said before, I wish they chose earlier, but anyway. So I like this movie, Twisted. Even that weird kind of thing with this uh, avalanche. Pierce mm-hmm. and Sophie get stuck in this like uh, igloo type thing, and and she starts freaking out. It's very weird. And then yep. the ending is twisted. Now you mentioned something about Judy Dench, which will carry over all the way up until yep. Spectre. Spectre. Well, ostensibly Spectre. It's really right before it. Yeah. Uh, Skyfall. It's 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 so very. Interesting thing they're starting. Um, I I don't know. I they hint at things and they don't follow through. I thought originally my, a closer bond to bond. Sorry about that. Same here. Yeah. That they did not reveal to us. I thought it was going to be like a mind fuck thing. She's his mother. And he didn't know about it or aunt or mother sister. Or she had a thing for him because there was there's some sort of very close connection they were implying for yeah, or most of the films. Or he has a thing for her. Well, he obviously has a thing for her. I mean, besides calling her mom, that's a very British, you know, thing there. Right. And there's nothing sexual about that. There was some sexual tension in their relationship. Yep. And it's starting to so. become more evident in this movie. Mm-hmm. It seems to bother you, but not me because well, no, wrong. that didn't bother me. That didn't bother me okay. at all. The problem is the fact that she's flawed as a leader for well, the yeah, nation. Yeah, yeah. But I, I understand what you're saying here, and 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 yes, because pre- but previous ends they didn't really Robert Brown, Bernard Lee, they were like sitting behind the desk. It's like Bond. This is your mission. Puts out the cigar or the pipe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you later in 10 minutes, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, she was very involved and active, which is kind of true with yeah. being bosses in the first place. It's actually one of the flaws. They're over, you know, they're like almost micromanagement. But the plus yeah. is obviously that they're also more emotional. And if they do give a shit, they can care. They can be more mothering about it. So, you know, it's a give and take. Uh, but here it seems like she's – and this is just the start of it in mind. This is just one big mistake. It's that's the start. But, yeah, it gets much worse as we go on. So I was kind of put off by that as we went through the series. This film was like a one-off. When we saw it in the theater, I was like, well, that was kind of stupid of her, but I still loved the film. I loved, you know, I liked her in it. It was still cool. It's just we're going to start getting to why that's a problem as we go on. So anything else about this one? We're on the last Brosnan now, and 
the problem is you had mentioned that uh, Barbara Broccoli had sort of taken over here, and that's why I thought when I watched this, oh, my God, this is a test run for Daniel Craig. They were still had Brosnan on hand, but it's a Daniel Craig film because, first off, the reason we didn't want to see it in the theater, and I'm glad we didn't considering I haven't seen it just recently for the first time, was because Holly Berry was in it, and I fucking hate Holly Berry. I am sorry. I never saw why people found her attractive. I can't believe they paid her $5 million a tit for that one movie there, Swordfish or whatever it was. Not that she has any in the first place. She's a weird-looking bitch with a huge forehead. She thinks she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. She's got a white trash mother who lives in a trailer park, literally. I mean, you can tell. She's just like, I don't know. There's nothing about her that says, oh, yeah, Holly Berry. She's terrible. She can't act. She's terrible as Storm with the little parts that they give her. She's just, I don't know. I just can't stand this woman. There's something about her. There's a vibe she gives off. We talked about uh, Talisa Soto before. This girl is a fucking bitch. I don't even want to talk about her. So the the fact that she was in this film... Literally was why I said no. I'm not going to go see it. We'll wait till it comes out the video, and then we still never saw it until just you know this last month. <laughs> so all these years I avoided it just because Holly Berry was in it. Now that's not even the biggest problem, sadly enough, because what goes on in this movie? Well, first of all, it opens up. He is now once again effectively renegade. He got involved with this kind of thing with North Korea or whatever, and they're doing some kind of arms deal. It's also a drug deal and whatever, you know, diamonds or whatever the hell it was. This nonsense where a guy gets, I don't know, he, he wants to become like a robot or a superhuman kind of stupid thing because, you know, he has diamonds in his skin now. And, in prison for a while, well, right? Yeah. I'm not talking about Bond, I'm talking about the baddie. Uh, the, the Korean guy, the, the kid that he went and did her, he, he blew up this thing with diamonds. So now he's walking around with diamonds in his skin, and he becomes like a cyborg. And then he's got this giant laser from space. It sounds kind of Bondian, but it's tacky. It's stupid. It's CG. And like you had mentioned, sadism. Cause, so Bond basically, because of this, gets trapped behind effectively the Iron Curtain behind North Korea. Nobody really knows where he is or can get him out. He's there. For, I think it was years, but I know it was for a long period, several months at least, in this effective, you know, Korean jail, getting tortured. And you know, are they going to give him, you know, is he going to give out information about MI6 or whatever? No. So he's standing, he's growing a beard. And usually when you have the credits to these things, they always have like, you know, those stylized things where the girls are going back and forth and kissing guns and whatever. It's always kind of sexualized, whatever. Through the credits, he's getting tortured. And you see silhouettes of him getting tortured. I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? This ain't a Bond film. This is like shit torture porn. I might as well go see House of Wax or a Saw film. Horrible, horrible movie from start to finish. I got the impression that the reason Brosnan left, besides being too old for it, is he saw the direction this was going and said, nah, I'm out of here. This ain't, this ain't what I want to do. Uh, no, 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 it was it's, not, very, it's not it at all. No, it's not it at all, actually. It was very, very Daniel Craig, and I just despise this film to this day. It was terrible. Actually, this is the notes I wrote. So I'll, I'll share this part. This is the film where Bond jumps the shark once and for all. It's the Daniel Craig-era test case, using bras in a very Craig way, screwing up badly, torture porn right through the opening credits, ugly, unappealing female leads, atrocious theme songs, Bad, bad, bad. Holy shit, it's been off for several minutes now. This is after the film ended. 
and my jaw is still on the floor. Die Another Day is hands down the worst Bond film ever lens. I didn't get the Spectre yet. Uh, of course, I saw three Craig films I've never subjected myself to, so I can't wait to see that disproved. I'd rather fuck Prince than Holly Berry. The atrocious CG, the constant swipes from earlier, much better Bond films to shit effect, because they were. They were kept swiping scenes from better Bond films, and they just didn't work here, including his own films, like his stealing stuff from Goldeneye didn't work here. The lame villain, the proto-Craig torture porn that spills into the credit sequence, the horrible Madonna auto-tune job of fucking Samadhi of all things, completely inappropriate and asinine, overlong, entirely unbearable, mostly thanks to Holly Berry and the incessant need of herself and everyone else in the film to kiss her homely ass and how hot and great she is. Talk about Limp Biscuit. Those sex scenes were bad. When she bites the mango and the knife, what's she fucking Angelina Jolie or something? Ugh. Totally traumatized and shocked that this movie got green-lighted. No wonder Brosnan left on this one. And why they waited five years between the Sophie Marceau one and making this piece of shit. Oh, and Money Penny Mark III and her embarrassing virtual reality sex stream at the end. No wonder she fucking left after this. I hated this film with a vengeance. It was, like I said, until Spectre, the worst Bond film ever lensed. So, go ahead. <laughs> so, anyway, I disagree with you there, young man. <laughs> go for it. Uh, well, I, I can't really defend <laughs> Halle Berry as an actress, but she's really yeah. a hot look. And then sometimes I see her in things where she's okay. Uh, she has bountiful breasts, and she I, she was a lot of fun in, in Swordfish, which I think you should see if you haven't. Anyway, that being said, I like the first 35, 40 minutes of this picture where he's tortured and stuff. I hate torture porn. I despise it. Torture porn movies that is like Saw, that you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I thought he was really good in this. I thought Pierce was trying to reach things in Bond-type movies he doesn't get a chance to do. That being said, once that was all over and he was done and freed, and then Money Penny choose, um, sorry, M choose him out as usual, the mission starts at hand. And you know what? It was kind of rote. I will admit that. And it's, yeah, it's not the best. And, um, oh, and don't forget, it was I also did... kind of akin to... The second, uh, what's his name there, Dalton film, because this is a Bond film, the first time anyway, when he's not really doing a mission. He's out there to right. disprove the world's belief because while he was being tortured and refused to give up the secrets, they told right. the world that, oh, by the way, he like sold you out. So now he's a traitor, and everybody's looking at him like that, and he's got to get stripped of yeah, his yeah, license. There, and there, are things, there are things similar to License to Kill, that's for sure. Now, yep. you mentioned something which actually is not true. Rossin was hoping to come back. Really? And Brosnan, okay. yeah, I mentioned this earlier that they screwed Pierce Brosnan, and Brosnan yes, was sir. supposed to be coming back. And he was contracted to come back. And to Pierce's knowledge, and I've read this in several times in a few different places over the years, to his knowledge, he they were just taking a while to figure out what they were going to do, and then they just called him up one day, and I remember this, Probably the most vivid thing I recall reading uh, was an interview where he said he was on vacation, some island somewhere with whoever he was with, and he answers the call, and it was a cold call from Barbara Broccoli who said, we're not going with you. Here's a guy who thinks he's just waiting to hear when's the next picture going into production. Right. That's, that's how they do business. I don't think it was up. I don't think it was due to him. I think it was. And the, again, they took a couple of years off from. Uh, yep, four years. Four years, and 
That's not due to him, though. That's due to them. That's like you go into production, you know what you're doing. I don't blame Pierce Brosnan for this movie succeeding or not succeeding, working or not working. I think he's a fine Bond overall. Oh, it doesn't do with him. Yeah, it was just a shitty movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's a flawed movie. It's yeah, I have to say it's probably one I don't rewatch. Um, I I do, as I said though, I do enjoy the first thirty-five, forty minutes of this when when they're they're trying to do something different with him. How about Mom so, uh, masturbating while she's doing that VR thing where he's like Bond's making out with her, and that's her last thing the film that? ends. Oh my god, this is ridiculous! <laughs> I was like, no wonder she walked off. Especially saying she's a respected stage actress. Like, really, do you got to do this? What was this? A children's comedy room? <laughs> like, wind up in a Fredo and Ray picture, for God's sakes. So anyway, anyway. so Brosnan got the kiss of death, and Daniel Craig, who was in Lair Cake, which was uh, Matthew Vaughn's picture, which I saw, and I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that movie. And I said, ooh, who's this guy? It's unusual looking I guy. I thought... His main claim to fame was the fact that he was in the the second Tomb Raider film with uh, Angelina Jolie. <laughs> I remember changed. that, but no, that went, yeah, that went that went nowhere. That went nowhere. Tomb Raider. Yeah, you're right. I saw that too in the theaters too, and I remember him in Tomb Raider, but it didn't do anything. Well, look at the first Tomb Raider with Gerard, the guy what? from London has fallen, the Olympus has fallen. Anyway, that guy, and that didn't do anything for him either. So, in any case. Lair Cake, I thought, was really interesting. And I said to myself, whoa, who is this guy? And he got a few years later, all of a sudden, he's the new Bond. Boom. And they brought Martin Campbell back, who did really good work with GoldenEye. And uh, they just tried to change all the roles, but kept Judy Dench's M. And I, I really like Casino Royale. Uh, did you? I saw it in the theater, and I had problems, but go ahead. Well, yeah, it's it has little problems, but it's... <laughs> Talk about sadism. We've been dropping yes. the, the Mads uh-huh. Michelson is barking off the charts here. As uh, there's something right, but it's right out of the book. That's the thing. It's it's in the book. Yeah, they it's were trying the to go back book. to the books. Yeah, or at least with this one, <laughs> which is interesting because they the never book. do it again after this. <laughs> and and I have to say that dude, what's that term? Jumping the shark. I mean, Casino Royale yeah. is probably my all-time favorite bomb movie. That's fascinating because, yeah, I mean, yes, I know you were big on the books themselves, and I know that yeah. this one did go back to the book. It was very openly stated, and it was kind of obvious, but oof. we're up to Casino Royale. Did oh, we start we had, talking about that one? Yes. I right. had mentioned that they had decided to go back for the first and last time to go back to the books after a long stretch of, I guess, not doing that. What those last couple of Brosnans? They were not from the books, right? No. Actually, the last couple of Brosnan movies were actually – I read all the John Gardner who was uh, hired to do one, and uh, they liked his work. Actually, I like his stuff. And John Gardner did a bunch of Bond books. And the Brosnan Bonds are very close to the Gardner style. And I think that's what they lean towards. But they wanted to keep it Ian Fleming's James Bond. So with Casino Royale, they finally got the rights entirely to do Casino Royale. Because there was something like Thunderball. There was some kind of like weird thing going on. I think it goes back to the late 50s when Ian Fleming sold that to uh, American Television Network. I forgot which one. And Barry Nelson was in a, a TV movie, Casino Royale, 
It sort of looks like it's available somewhere. It sort of looks like one of those armchair detective kind of things. It, it's like oh, yeah. it's not live, but it looks live. And uh, it may have been live and shot on kinescope to preserve it, like some of those beloved Avengers, you know. Uh, Peter mm-hmm. Lurie was the, the chief. Uh, I seen it. It's dodgy. I mean, I was really excited years ago. Barry Nelson, you know, Barry Nelson, he's like youngish, you know. And, <laughs> not um, as drunk. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it looks like, you know, in between when he's still awake, we'll, we'll, we'll grab him for a couple of quick shots. Uh, and, of course, yeah, that's what it looks like. Well, you, you say know? gig young, so I figured right away he must have been a drunk. <laughs> yeah, and he also, he had a little bit of a baby face, but he also looked a little bit like, how do you say, a mix between gig young and uh, Jackie Cooper. You know, you remember oh, okay. Jackie Cooper? Yeah, sure so, you know. Uncle Jerry Fester also, later on. <laughs> yes, and, and Barry Nelson didn't have a terrific, terrifically uh, impactful career as an actor. Um, I think he he probably did much better in TV and in television than he did elsewhere. But anyway, so in '67, um, the rights passed on to I think Charles K. Feldman, who uh, we discussed uh, a bit earlier uh, in one of these shows about the All Star Casino Royale. Yeah, right. so EI could not touch that. So they finally got that, and so they went back to Martin Campbell, uh, of all people, who did very well, I thought, with GoldenEye. Oh, yeah. And they also, uh, I think one of the things we discussed is they kind of said to Pierce Brosnan, who was in a waiting period? Die Another Day got dismal reviews. He was good in it. There are some things in the first 40 minutes, debatable, but, you know, he, he really tried. He's up against a machine, and he's up against, you know, what are the, their names? Wade and Travis, or whatever the fuck their names. These guys have been, somebody comes up with a story, and they've been using the same two guys for the last 15 years, if not more, mm-hmm. to fine-tune yep. the scripts. I, I'm sorry, I, I just off the top of my head, I can't think of their names. But um, they do fine work for the most part. Sometimes they do amazing work, and, but... Sometimes it's like the last few Brosnans. I think it hurt the scripting. Well, I don't know so, about World is Not Enough because I still liked that one for all its yeah. you know, comparative flaws. But Die Another Day was just a piece of shit. And you had Holly Berry and it, the torture porn sequences. and It was just it was not a Bond film in any respect. But it felt like a dry run for Craig. So back to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they and, and actually and what they're doing now is rather unusual. They're. I think something's up their sleeve. We'll, we'll get to that toward the end of the show because they didn't do the usual, well, here's going to be the next Bond or here's our ideas for next Bond. They only very subliminally did that and they bandied about names like uh, Gerard Butler, who's too husky. And um, who's the guy, Craig Owen, uh, who's really good in those BMW movies, an occasional thriller. Uh, he's really enjoyable. He's he's working on HBO or Showtime now in some kind of weird thing as a doctor in the 1800s. I forgot what that's called. The knife or something. Else. Clive Owen. I'm sorry, Clive Owen. That's it. Clive Owen. Oh, oh, Clive Owen. Yes. Okay, I know that now. Yeah. So, so they kind of just like dropped that name, dropped that name, and Daniel Craig had gotten really good uh, reviews for. Beside he, you had mentioned before he was in Tomb Raider. Uh, the second Tomb Raider. <laughs> I think it was the second but one. My he, wife thought it was the first. I'm not sure which, but well, whichever. One, one of them. There's only two of them. Yeah. And uh, and I think coincidentally, Gerard Butler's in the other. And Matthew Vaughn's Layer Cake, which is uh, one of his un- 
usual gangster movie. So he, he uses in that. He had the starring part, and it was really terrific. And it's actually a good underrated film. Sort of like the long Good Friday-ish. And mm-hmm. so Daniel Craig is announced as a new Bond, and Martin Campbell's coming back. We're doing Casino Royale. And then they got this interesting casting. You know, Mads Mikkelsen, murdering his last name, uh, is the chief. And they got the interesting people. You know and, who really interested me in this cast, beyond the fact that yeah. obviously they're keeping Judy Dench, was uh, Giancarlo Giannini. I'm like, what the hell swept away? I mean, this guy is known for those, um, what the hell is her name? Nina Vertmuller films. And, you know, Swept Away was like a big touch point for me. I, that was actually one of the first art house films that got me into art house in the first place, as uh, I'd say probably as a preteen. They used to show it on like uh, Channel 13, you know, the PBS station around here. And, you know, I'm just sitting there watching this movie. And first off, you know, I was kind of hot for what's her face there, uh, the female lead, uh, Mario Angelo Malati, I think it was. And yeah, Malato, yeah, yeah. And that whole thing where they're on the desert island there and they're cussing each other out. And it's weird because there's like a mixture of sexual politics and politics politics. It's like, you know, you're a bitch and worse, a social democrat, which is hilarious to me because like, who would even think of a line like that? Uh, <laughs> you know, because uh, it's all about communism and the, the working class versus, you know, the rich. And it kind of speaks to a lot of things that probably played into this election about elitism on the side of the ostensible left uh, that aren't quite really the left, they're the people's left. And, you know, this the film was great. I really, really enjoyed that film to this day. And here he is. Okay, you know, he'd done other films, obviously, but basically that's what he's known for. He's known for doing Vert Miller films. He did Seven Beauties and things like that. And here he is showing up in this film for a couple of them. I think he was in two or three of them. True. Uh, sure. sure. Yeah, basically just, you know, this one uh, contact is kind of like a Felix Leiter, but not in America. It was in uh, another country. I forget which. Maybe France. Jeffrey Wright? No, that was it. Felix Leiter? Wasn't he the black guy now? Again, like, because um, the last time we had Bernie seen this was with Bernie Casey in Never Say Never Again, but in terms of the Eon, the official series, this was the first time that they actually switched it from, you know, just being rotating actors, all of a sudden now he's a black guy. Like, okay, well, that's, that's a change, unless well, you had seen the other one. I think Giannini was attracted to this role because you're right. In a way, he was he was like the Italian, the Italian version of Felix Leiter. We're led to believe we don't know what's going on with him until it becomes a, a huge red herring toward the end. And uh, they do something really interesting uh, with him in the next mixed picture. Yeah, interesting cast. And actually, from uh, You Only Live Twice. Oh, my brain freeze today. One of the really popular Japanese actresses is in this, playing Endless Games of uh, Baccarat. And, oh, you uh, know who actually is in this one that you pointed out to me, and I still, like, even this time around, I didn't see her, forgetting she's there, was Sai Chin from the old uh, Fu Manchu films. Yes. For, uh, I think Harry Allen Towers produced a couple of those early on, and she was also in the ones with uh, Franco, a lot of Fu Manchu and whatever, so a well, uh, bit part. It's a bit part, but actually she's playing Baccarat on the boat. Actually, I thought, oh, we're not going to see her again or they're going to kill her. And then she's playing Baccarat uh, in, in the casino. And mm-hmm. so obviously they, they had her stay around for a while. But at one point, I remember the uh, the baddie there says, oh, yeah, you know, once uh, whatever happens, just kill everybody on the boat. They're collateral damage. And she was one of the people that was there playing yes, whatever it was. Exactly. You know, she or whatever. Exactly. And she shows up later. So I, I, I'm assuming yes. they probably <laughs> – yeah, they probably they probably said, well, Sai, you know what? Hang around. It might have I, been uh, script editing or whatever they call that, your continuity. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in case. 
Eva Green is uh, the yeah, love interest in this? That's what was one of the problems for me right off the bat, because here you have what is essentially the ugly version of Carolina Capelli to Sony, and she's supposed to be the lead. And I was like, okay, we've had a couple of questionable leads, certainly you know, Holly Berry, but at least people, you know, she has a, a reputation and people would go to see her. Like, oh, look, Holly Berry's in this. Who the fuck is Eva Green? And why would you want oh, – it's going back to like the Dalton era when they were picking really questionable female leads. To you know, These aren't the international beauties of the classic – Bond girl days. This is like odd looking character actresses. I'm like, really? You know, I, she wasn't the actress, but it was like, eh. Well, yeah, she's she's really popular in her country of origin, of, of which I forgot, I think Germany. And she was in this, uh, is it a Bertolucci movie called The Dreamers? And a couple other things, and she looks smoking hot naked. So, um... <laughs> Yeah, well, she's known for being very relaxed with her body. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's interesting you bring this up because I do want to address this. Yeah, she's not the classically beautiful blonde woman. And I think I applauded that in this movie because actually it kind of led us into we're not going that way with this series. And so she's like kind of average. Here too. Well, okay, yeah, hold that for a second. Because sure. the other thing that I was thinking about this, and you may be jumping ahead of where you were going anyway, is that they decided to take it back and make Craig not the continuation of Bond, where they kept changing the actor like a Doctor Who kind of thing, but yeah. saying, yeah. all right, let's take this right back to the beginning and make him the young, vulnerable, I haven't really got my feet wet yet, Bond. Right. And yeah. that leads to what becomes a problem for me with this, uh, the whole Craig run, which is he's a total fuck-up. <laughs> not only is he violent, more so than you remember, but everything he does is just a complete mess. He's constantly screwing up. He's constantly getting people killed. He's constantly ruining his missions. He's constantly putting people in jeopardy. He, he goes out to do something, and you've got a good 55% chance that he's going to fail at it miserably and probably get tortured along the way. So, But again, go back to what you're saying about Eva Green. Yeah, I, I, I think that was that was what they were looking for. Not so much ordinary, but just average with skills and someone that you would you would grow to like in the role and grow to. They, I guess what they wanted that as Bond, the character Bond grows to appreciate her and trust her, and then like her uh, romantically and then a sexual way. I guess they really. Th- I, I I go along with this because I think they wanted you to be in that that boat with him. And then the betrayal right. or how he sees it as such is like a big kick in your face. And you say, wait a minute, no, yes. I didn't like this lady. I grew to like this lady. I grew to think, hey, you know what? Not my cup of tea, but she's kind of hot and she's she's spiffy. You know, she can hold her own against him in the war of the words. Oh, okay, yeah. I like this girl now. You know, that's where I was. And then you got this huge betrayal at the end. You're like, what the fuck? You know? Yep. I, I, Another I problem think, for me with this one. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's what they wanted to do with this, is that they wanted you to be in there with him, and then they wanted you to feel that. So I, I think this is a, not only probably Martin Campbell's best thing as a director so far, but it was really well put together in, in, in some parts. I, you know, let's go to the casting of Craig. He is by far... The ugliest Bond? <laughs> No, he's not you, a you, you, man. You go to the extremes all the time. No, no, he's no, no. Not a, he's very craggy. That's, he's very. Um, that's even though I think opinion. he's young. I don't love him. He looks old. 
Well, that's the thing. He wasn't old, but he looked. He has a lived-in face. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, he looks like a boxer. He looks like a pugilist. He looks like. Uh, he looks like somebody uh, comes from the Australian outback, which maybe where he's from. I'm not sure of his origin. His accent's kind of strange. He seems like he could be obviously New Zealander, but you probably know better. No, I think no. He's British, and uh, yeah, and and there's just uh, something about him. I, I it took me. 15 minutes to warm to him when I first saw this because I'm like, well, I liked him a lot in Layer Cake, so I'm going to give him a shot. But I'm like, what are they doing here? But I, I really like him. And uh, this is my favorite Bond movie. Every, yeah, they're you all mentioned. flawed. Yeah, they're oh, all yeah, well, they're flawed. all flawed. And we mentioned that in the last show or two here where we revisited yeah. it, as opposed to the first time around where we we're, you know, I was going off more memories of whatever and seeing them several times over the well, years. Well, okay, Russia and they are very but, high on my list. And so, uh, you only live, you only live twice, is right. very super high. I, it's probably my number two favorite. You know, I I will admit that. And oddly enough, if we can go back in time and read assign Skyfall theme song? There's a lot of good things in it. <laughs> Skyfall, I love, but we'll get to that in a bit. That, that's actually the one Craig that works for me. But so anyway, surprised me um, too. Yeah, I, I really like this. Yeah, I, I, Mads Michelson is an interesting actor. Uh, he's scary in a young <laughs> Anthony Hopkins way, which might explain his casting in a particular show. True. It's no longer. He's very subtle, and then he has this explosive dementia in his eyes, you know. I like the hell out of this movie. And then it takes a weird turn. Well, they have a... a it's already too bloody long. You know, yes. Let me say that. It's it's probably the longest fucking Bond movie, or, or almost. And Well, if not, then it Lazenby's was, but it's very close. It's a super long it's movie. It's very close. And they have a needless subplot. You know, um, the chief or whoever in his cohort, they're in Africa... And he's. This is what sets up the whole thing, you know. He he owes uh, African revolutionaries uh, money for guns, uh, smuggling diamonds. I don't know what the fuck it was. I think it was it was guns, and it was like money owed. And he he is an agent of Spectre, and that was one of the things. Oh, that's right. I just reminded myself. This is why they wanted it back, and they won the rights because eventually, because remember Spectre was tied into that Never Say Never Again thing, and they cannot use the name Spectre. So now that they won the, the, the rights back, not only did they get Casino Royale, but like, hey, we could do Spectre again. So, yeah, the sheep is working for Spectre, which is kind of cool in a way. It's like, hey, Spectre. The thing is, the subplot with these African guys showing up in you know mm-hmm. Eastern European country, there's a great fucking fight though on the staircase. I gotta say that's like that's a really good fight. <laughs> With Bond and these two guys. Yeah. I mean it's well edited. It's 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 like I'm not one that gets orgasmic over fight scenes. I've seen a couple of things in the last two years like, you know what? That's pretty impressed. I'm impressed. But this uh was it two thousand five? I was like, that's good. But then they do a weird thing where the girl I forgot her character, Eva Green's character. Um Oh uh what the hell is Desperate Best Berlin, yes, which is directly from the book. There's a lot of stuff from the book, actually, in this movie. Best Berlin breaks down because she's seen this violent act up in front of her eyes. And that shows what a good actress she was or what a good actress her character was supposed to be. Because it was all fucking phony. And, you know, right. Bond puts her in the shower. And that's a cool scene. He's getting all wet. And, you know, she's breaking down. And he's like, wow, you know, it's just really intense for this poor girl. Meanwhile, we find out. She's like, wow. 
Doesn't the whole subplot kind of hurt because they added like another 20 minutes to the movie? The casino scenes are a little interminable. I mean, if you don't play Baccarat, yes. you're like, they could have edited them down. But this cool stuff. I mean, I love the scene where Le Chief poisons him and he's like having this reaction. I thought that was uh, very cool. <laughs> You like that? All right. Well, let nope. me uh, hold your thoughts if you got any more, because this is what I, my take on this. We saw this in the theaters. Uh, I mentioned mm-hmm. we didn't go to see Die Another Day just because I didn't want to deal with Holly Berry. So uh, we, new Bond comes out after six years. I'm like, all right. I know this guy from the Tomb Raider movie. I didn't think too much of him as Chase, but whatever. We'll go see it. So it is. You know, I love Bond. She loves Bond. The whole deal. And in the beginning, I figured, well, Casino Royale, that's a strange thing to go back to because, you know, we had seen the one from the 60s with the multiple directors and the, the comedy touches. Woody Allen's one of the Bonds and one of the directors, uh, you know, multiple subplots. It just kind of goes all over the place. It's like, what the hell are they going to do with this? All right, fine. You figure at the very least they're going to be spending a lot of time in, you know, in a gambling casino. And you do get a lot of that, like you said, a little bit too much perhaps. But, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. And you walk in and I think the first thing that they put up, the first uh, opening teaser, I guess, before the credits, he's chasing this guy through, I guess, Africa. One of the cities there, I forget what the hell it was supposed to be. And they were doing something that at the time they had considered it like a new extreme sport or some horse shit where oh, basically they're jumping from – what they call yeah. it? Parkour, yeah, that's it. Uh, jumping from like yeah. building to building and roof to roof and across, you know, they're running across construction sites and, you know, on the girders and it was crazy. And I'm like, wow, this is really fucking nuts. It was all over kinetic. I think the direction went a little bit too much towards the handheld shaky cam sort of a thing, you know, right in your face like oh. that. Uh, mm. But it was impressive. So I was like, okay, well, this is a good start. Let's see what happens. So we get to. After this, and I was, it started getting really strange. I'm like, and that's actually one of the problems for me with the film. It's very direct and in your face, deliberately so, but mm. it's not a Bond film. It becomes more of a Jason Bourne film. It becomes more of not even the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible. That's more Bond than Bond's been in years. It's, but it's that kind of a, like a John Le Carre sort of spy film, but not even – because Lacara, you, you think that you're thinking more like, you know, internet scene factor, that kind of plotting and scheming. No, no, this is all very in-your-face, gritty, uh, hard look, how tough it is to actually be a spy doing stuff on pretending to be somebody else going across, uh, you know, enemy borders, you know, going behind the Russian curtain or whatever the hell, and doing this crap and putting your life on the line. Almost like a, one of those gritty cop movies, but worse than that. So I understand that, but it was a little too much, especially when, as you had mentioned, the poison scene. And that's what I start remembering. When I think of this film right away, I think of him having to inject himself in the fucking heart with adrenaline uh, <laughs> while he's basically passing out and talking to people and amming all those people over at MI6, over the intercom. You know, and actually showing you do this. They're showing him like stabbing stuff in the end. I don't mean he like a little bit like, oh, I'm giving himself a shot. He jams this fucking thing into his chest. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, and then later on, there's a wonderful scene where he gets you know stripped down naked in a drippy cellar, kind of like a saw sort of environment or hostel. And some guys there, I think it's one of the African guys, torturing his balls because they've got a special seat where like you know his man junk hangs oh, from no, the bottom. That's, that's, and, that's yeah. That's I was like, holy shit, what the fuck am I watching? This is not a Bond film. But again, if I had seen Die Another Day, I would have known, okay, yeah, this is the way they're going now. They want to do torture porn. I think this is more realistic and well, grim know, and gritty. That's oh, in the God. book. That's in the book. Wow. <laughs> so it this is. is my major problem with this movie is I don't think – 
all right, I didn't agree with his cast. I won't say I don't think he was well cast because for what they're doing, he probably was well cast. But for a mm-hmm. Bond film as I was used to it with the other four Bonds that we had had, even Dalton, sure. even if you take into account you know, License to Kill and how violent that was, it was still a Bond film. He was still James Bond. Daniel Craig is not James Bond. He never was. I mean, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to make him young and green and whatever. But he is a generic spy who goes through violent, gritty, torture pornish sort of situations, barely getting by the skin of his teeth. There's nothing Bond about. There's nothing about, oh, yeah, I'm this like glamorous secret agent who can do anything and you know, wish fulfillment for all the guys, and I'm going to fuck every girl out there, and they're all going to be gorgeous, and all the girls want to be with me, and you know, glamorous chase scenes and action sequences. No, this is grim, gritty, in-your-face almost 70s style, I think French Connection kind of stuff. But, um, but can I show you something, though? I, I think nope. this had to be done. I, I think this had to be done. I think for the mid-2000s, the time had come for them to distance themselves from the past because it, you can only get retro for so long. And sure, I but think, do you think it's a Bond film still? Do you still think I it's do. James Bond? Because I, I think they should call it something else and say, okay, well, it's from no, the producers I, of the James Bond series. Here comes whatever, uh, as opposed no, to this I, is James I, Bond, where it's like doesn't fit. I said, I really like it. It's my favorite Bond picture. I, I yeah, I, I really like it. It's, it's very close to the book for the most part. Um, if they were going to rewrite something, they could have made an escape clause for Vance Michelson. That's a good character. They could have not have killed him. There is a problem with this movie, though, and the big yeah. problem is. After four Boston pictures, they decided to keep Judy Dench, who's a wonderful actress, incredibly talented, award. Oh, she's winner. great. And sometimes she looks kind of hot still. Sometimes, you know. I don't know. <laughs> well, but, she's got a glint um, in her eyes that says she's still sexual, and that's yes, you can pick that exactly, up. That part of why they that not weird yet, dynamic. Yeah, right. not not guilty hot, but you know, there's just 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 something very something about her. But if you recall, one of the big quotable lines in one of the Brosnan movies is she calls him a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. And <laughs> that was her take on the... And we discussed you more so of the relationship between Brosnan, Brosnan's Bond and, and her M. And right. I think you kind of nailed it. So here we are. And here's the problem, which you also mentioned. We're dialing everything back to Craig's Bond being just, he just, he's earning his double O license, his license right. to kill in this movie. So he's brand new, fresh Bond. So it's kind of confusing because, yes, as you said, they, he's not the same Bond that was Bond in Die Another Day, uh, Golden Eye, License to Kill, From Russia All Love, Goldfinger. He's a brand new Bond. And it's interesting, they, decided to do that and kept her instead of recasting that part. Yeah, and he even did. breaks into her house at one point, which pissed her off. But nonetheless, she wasn't as pissed off as you would think she would have been. You could tell she was like, oh, okay, well, I'm really okay with this, but I'm going to make a stink. I'm like, really? What is this well, all about? This is really strange. There's, and there's this strange thing that goes on. Uh, there's something going on when somebody's having a sit down about what are we doing about this character? When they're, when they're thinking about this, in my belief, somebody, and it started with Brosnan, that there's some kind of interest between the both of them that we're not privy to. And it might be, right. you know, I kept thinking, is she his mother? Does he not know it? Is, is, 
Is there some kind of strong There's something weird about that because it becomes taboo territory almost. Like because there's something yeah. more than a motherly reaction. And that's part of what I mentioned last time. I was like, well, what the hell are they trying to do here? What is this dynamic they're building? So yeah, and they're continuing it even though they're rebooting it. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, that's a, that's a bit problematic. I think that's one of the things that interested people though too. It's like this is a fucking fucked up sexual dynamic between these two guys, you know, and... Uh, right. Interesting. I mean, it's not in your like face. It. It's disgusting. No, it's, it's like, not. Mm, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> it's so... You if, you're intelligent, yeah. if you're an intelligent watcher and an avid Bond fan, not just a garage mechanic, who I'm not saying garage mechanics are not intelligent, but just like, hey, Joe, hand me the pliers. No, I mean the pliers. Yeah, well, some guy... <laughs> some guy was like, hey, wait a minute, that's kind of weird. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yep. (laughs) And you mentioned another problem that goes on with this for me is that, you know, Bond films in the past were all kind of discreet. They didn't really tap into anything other than, okay, Spectre's an ongoing force. Blofeld, ever-changing actors, is an ongoing, you know, character. Uh, Felix Leiter and M and all those people that, okay, this is, you can tell it's part of a narrative, but they're basically disconnected. They could be jumping, you know, five, 20 years in between, however you want to look mm-hmm. at it. Uh, you know, just spots. Okay, here's a, along the timeline. In 1986, I did this, and here was in 1993, and here was in, you know, 2001, as opposed to here is the next part of, you know, next chapter of this story going directly from the one that preceded it. And that's, Craig's films are doing that all the way through, you know, to the end, basically. I don't want to spend too much more time in this picture, but uh, saying that yeah. saying that the ending of this is pretty powerful and weirdly devastating. Um, if you're following the story as I described it before, that you know you're with these characters, and then there's this guy who shows up. It's Mr. White. It's kind of it's ha- kind of hard to discuss it further without giving too much away because I'm sure not everybody has seen this. But it's weird, and also I know why you. You're not a huge fan because of the homoerotic subtext between Bond and Le Chief when Bond is sitting there naked. Oh, that's nothing. <laughs> it gets worse. It gets worse. Hang on. That's actually one of the things that makes Skyfall work because it's so funny and ridiculous. But okay. Yes, there is definitely yeah, yeah, the indicate these homoerotic yeah, subtext yeah, yeah, yeah. Between, between him and the villains as we go on. And Le Chief is definitely one of them. You are correct. When he's torturing his balls, there's a little bit more to it than just, I'm a sickle torturer. So, yes. Like I said, the movie disturbed the shit out of me. I was very disappointed because it was not a Bond film the way I was looking for a Bond film. And we saw no part. more of them. <laughs> well, yes. You're basically grabbing your nuts the whole time. Like, uh, <laughs> You know, basically because of this film, uh, for good or for bad, because there were some things about it that worked, definitely, like I mentioned, it stopped me from watching the Bond films. So it wasn't until very recently with the Blu-ray set that I finally saw, and it was probably like, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that I finally saw the last three films. And I was glad to see Skyfall, because Skyfall is actually very good. But go ahead. Okay. So, uh, anything else you want to say about this one? No, let's move on to Quantum. So Quantum of Solace, mm, all right, it's not – if you want to say that, okay, Casino Royale was a refreshing change or whatever, it continues the story, but it's nowhere near as good. If you were thinking this as a three-movie thing going from Casino Royale to Skyfall, it's the least of the three. But you know, Spectre is on its own as one of the worst films ever, probably the worst film in the entire Bond canon, but we'll get there. Quantum of Solace – 
Uh, you know, I actually had to ask my wife a couple of times, like, what's the plot here? Because it felt it was that uh, generic and it felt like incidents as opposed to plot. It was that. I don't know if I was just bored by it or if it just was that convoluted or what, but it was just not working in that respect. Like, OK, I know why Bond's in this picture. I know where the villain's motivations are. I get the whole it was kind of like I'm just continuing for no reason. I felt pointless. Uh, once again, you've got a leads or leads that weren't that attractive. I know the one girl, I forget which, uh, who, what her name was, but she was basically living as sort of the kept girl of the baddie in this one, even though she was really supposed to be a spy and on his side and Bond fails to save her once again. You know, she's supposed to be all hot and exotic or whatever. I don't know. She was like an Islander, maybe a uh, Jamaican type, but she was just not attractive once again. I'm like, oh boy, she's not as homely as fucking, you know, what's her face? There, Holly Berry, but I was like, this just doesn't work. You know, Giancarlo Giannini's in it again. Uh, Jeffrey Wright's in it again. Felix Leiter, those are fine. Judy Dench, of course, is in it once again. <sighs> you know, it's we start getting more of those problems that I was talking about where she's getting too involved with him, and not only is he fucking up, but she's fucking up, which is. Again, it's it's disturbing on a certain level that, all right, you know, again, I'm not politically correct. This doesn't really mean anything to me in that sense. But they finally said, okay, well, let's put a woman in power, but she's always going to be extremely fallible and fuck up constantly. We were better for the guy in power. And at the end of the series, that's where they go back to. Yeah, okay, I know these are supposed to be a prequel, but nonetheless, it, it just feels strange that they chose to make her so particularly fallible. And she really is. She really does screw up constantly. The film itself, though, I mean, there's really nothing much to say about it. It felt even more generic. It doesn't feel even as much of a spy film as Casino Royale did to me. You know, it, it felt more like a TV movie almost. Like, okay, here's a TV cop show with some spy shit in it. And you know, you remember the whole sequence where they're on the, uh, they've got that warehouse and they've got the guys there with the machine guns yeah. guarding it in broad daylight. In broad daylight, they've got a fence up there, like a chain link fence, and people. Are walking up to these guys that are walking around with like you know AK-47s and shit. Like, oh yeah, how you doing? Can I get in? I, uh, I need to interview whatever the guy's name is. I don't know, it wasn't Lashif, but whoever Bandy was this time. Oh, well, go away, don't come back. Okay, sure. Really? Nobody notices this. Nobody cares. And I think it was actually something about diamond smuggling, if I'm not mistaken. But the movie was just confusing, and I was just like totally zoned out through it. So that should say something right there. So go ahead. What's well, your take on this one? Well, the uh, what the hell's his name? The director, Mark Mark Forster. Mark Forster was a uh, not on anybody's list for a bomb movie. I don't know how the hell this happened. But he he was pretty much a director of dramedies, Monsters Ball with Halle Berry, an amazing performance. She's really good in that. And Billy Bob Thornton of all people. It's a really good movie, actually. It's a really good film. And he did a couple other things like that. And then he did the Brad Pitt movie that nobody wanted to see because everybody said, ah, oh, this is probably crap, based on that terribly overrated book, uh, World War Z, which right. I, I held off on seeing until one day I said, oh, let me see this thing on Netflix. And I was like, wow, I'm impressed. So when they say this guy's going to be in the Bond movie, uh, directed Bond movie, I said, well, I don't know if he could bring some of that kinetic energy to this. And there was some dialogue stuff from World War Z. And I said, you know, it's not bad. Well... Puddle fuck up from, from the first frame of film. This guy cannot do a Bond movie. So it leads me to believe that there were other hands involved in World War Z. As as subtly dropped to a lot of people, which is why that movie was in production for like two plus years. And uh, yeah, totally messed up. Usually the second unit people can save a movie. Uh, talk about yeah. 
kinetic action scenes. They're they're in that tunnel, one of the first big action scenes, and they're follow, They're continuing the story from Casino Royale, where Bond is chasing down some bad guys, and Mr. White is along somewhere, and. Mr. White is the guy responsible for the death of Best Berlin, or one of the people responsible. And, you know, this is the whole big involvement of Spectre. Anyway, this is going on, and it's like you can't figure out what's going on with the car chase. And it's like, oh, come on, man. This is a Bond movie. There's a gazillion dollars involved. Somebody can't figure, can't fix this in the editing room? Which leads me yep. to believe that all the master shots were bad, all the middle shots were bad, all the medium shots were bad. I like the guy who played the pseudo-villain, Matthew Almerich. Quantum sure. Warriors, yeah. He reminded me uh, of a younger Roman Polanski, actually. He's a dead yes. ringer for Polanski in The Tenant. He looked just like Polanski did at that time. And that's another thing I had to say. I didn't think of it before. They have really fucking ugly villains in these Daniel <laughs> Craig films. Every one of them is like a mutation. So, yes, you're right. He did look a lot like Polanski. <laughs> yeah, and... and, and and Polanski has a bit of seediness to him, which is true. Mm-hmm. And so this woman, who is this kept woman, who we then learn is, we thought she was an agent, but she's not. She's a revolutionary working with some revolutionary people. But that's not what the story is about. And it kind of spawns revenge for the death of Vesper Berlin, maybe. She's kind of still pissed at Vesper Berlin, even though she's dead. But what is this right. movie about? Exactly. It's about super... Rich megalomaniac, which we haven't seen the likes of since, say, Roger Moore kind of Bond movie, who is in love with oil with some South American revolutionaries, huh? Why? Mm-hmm. And stealing the oil from these yeah, that uh, was it. and water, water is You're and exactly water. right. Sorry, water. He funds South American revolutionaries, right? Takes huh. this guy, he, he gets him in power, and he says, okay, well, now all this land that you just signed over to me because, you know, it's worthless land. There's nothing on there. Oh, by the way, yeah. that's where all your water is and your oil, and now we're going to charge you triple the price. And if you don't like it, then, you know, we're going to shoot you because we got, you know, your next in command's ready to take over for you. If you so I was like, all right, sort of like standing like, rock. Thank God. The, that exactly. Guy. And I sat there with my wife having the same reaction that you seem to be saying. I was like, this is what this fucking movie is about? Really? <laughs> Seriously? Bond? Uh, okay. So, I mean, maybe they were trying yeah, to be political and real, but it was, it was just like, almost, oh, wow. It was almost like a Roger Moore, a lesser Roger Moore Bond. At some a lesser one, now. yeah. Like Octopus. <laughs> they tried to save it somewhat by, again, I'm going to bring up the name of Roger Moore Bonds. Yeah, sometimes they had this ridiculous, in the middle of nowhere kind of action scene. Well, where's this revolutionary guy have his, like, place that's visited by the movie's chief villain? It's it's a fortress in the middle of a desert. Why? Somebody thought it was cool looking? I don't know. How the hell do you get there? I mean, there was, there was not what, a copter ride for two hours, driving for three days. I mean, it's a very cool looking fortress, um, but it, it really those things like the man with the golden gun like we have this solar powered giant death star on an island with only one black guy operating everything what is this <laughs> so um yeah. oh i'm sorry and and her riddle of change one and a half guys running the whole thing so <laughs> uh so this i this island sorry this desert fortress which is like impressive looking it's a great looking set it's a good mixture of set and cgi or whatever the hell it is and yeah, look cool Bond movie. Bond blows his shit up. Uh, the, the, the South American revolutionary dude is sadistically, you know, he's, he's, he rapes his 
women he brings there, and he's going to do this to, to the girl of the movie. Yep. So, you know, they, they do that pretty well, where you really, you despise this guy from the get-go. But I'm like, okay, Bond's blowing that up really cool, so, but it's still in the middle of a desert, so, you know, the excitement level's kind of weird. <laughs> um, it even ends like a Roger Moore kind of Bond. I understand that Casino Royale, with all its accolades and, and everything, they were all so comfortable, they didn't want to wait forever to do another one. So they, when they brought in this director, they kind of rushed this picture, and it looks rushed. It looks like they yep. really didn't think about a lot of stuff. And so um, it's it's a holding pattern movie, I think, in a way. Yeah, it's not like a horrible disaster. It's just not a good movie. And compared to what came before, which was a shock, like it or not, and what came after, which was definitely the best of his four films thus far anyway, assuming he does anymore, which I don't think, uh, you know, it was just kind of like blonde, generic. Like I said, it felt like a TV film in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. I mean, not literally, but close enough. Very down-to-earth in a boring way. So next up, I was very surprised to see uh, a film that I actually liked because I was like, oh, God, Daniel Craig just sucks. But this one worked, um, and it worked pretty well, actually. It worked better than, you know, certainly better than Die Another Day, uh, probably better, you know, arguably, than the Brosnan pair, uh, or certainly than uh, License to Kill. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's on par with that in some ways, but better in other ways. Oh, you mean Dalton? Um, yeah. Uh, yes, Dalton. Sorry. Basically, the one one of the problems I had with it was uh, first off the opening sequence where he kind of fucks up this uh, assassination job really badly, and there's some terrible CG in it. So once again, we go back to keyboard monks. He's kind of fucking up everything for the rest of the cast. There's a whole thing in here which was. I don't know. I, I know they were trying to bring it home and make it all big and dramatic, but it's a little bit silly that the entire conceit of this film is that the baddie has some sort of a past relationship with uh, not just MI6, but with M herself and wants to get mm-hmm. revenge. And of course, you know, he's a hacker, so we're going into anonymous territory and he's hacking all of their systems and other systems and making all chaos all over the place. All right, fine, but again, a little too down to earth the way things are now. It's like, well, this is kind of every day in the papers, all right, whatever. You know, how many hacking breaches have we had from Russia swinging this election to uh, Target uh, losing everybody's credit card info to, you know, whatever. You know, Sonata's breaking in every other day doing something stupid. It's It was a little bit too downscale in that respect, but there's some things that really work here. What I had written at the time, and some of this I actually changed my mind on since, so if some of this seems a little bit off from what I'm saying now or what I say afterwards, you know why? Because it sunk in. This is also the kind of picture that will sink in afterwards, which says something about it. Skyfall continues the late Brosnan through Craig-era tradition of Judy Dench's horrible bad decision-making M. Lame credit sequences, atrocious songs from No Towns. We already talked about the Sam Smith one and last Bond, uh, Revisiting Bond show uh, two weeks ago. A cast of male villains and would-be Bond girls clearly handpicked because they were the only folks they could find other than Daniel Craig. They do one-up the last three by being very watchable, especially in the second half, but um, a lot of it is due to the downtown London settings, and a super gay villain who trades some heavy, heavy innuendo with Craig. The scene on the island where Craig is tied to a chair, where the baddie gets up in his personal space and starts referring to M as mommy is unbelievable. I thought I was watching a Ken Russell film for a few minutes there, and it's definitely the best of Craig's. I also said Craig looks like fucking Richard Dawson, which is true. If you've never seen Daniel Craig, take a look at the old <laughs> you know, Hogan's Heroes or better yet, Family Feud with Richard Dawson, and there you go. That's, that's Bond. <laughs> but as I sort of mentioned in part of that, 
Uh, it works very well. I really did get a kick out of this guy who is, again, a really fucking ugly guy. This guy heavier barred them, who is the gayest Bond villain ever. I mean, totally, totally has a thing for Bond. Totally has some kind of mommy issues with M, like I mentioned. In the end, her fucking up ends up getting her killed. Uh, so there's that big of gravitas. You know, the last movie was ostensibly motivated by uh, Bond's rage over uh, the whole Vesperlin situation. Now the next movie, which is horrible, is motivated by his rage over the death of M. But there's some great sequences in here. Uh, not only on the aforementioned island, where they have to. There's a thing where he has to play Russian roulette with this other girl that. Ostensibly the lead character in it. There is this fantastic ending sequence, or no, close to the end anyway, second half, where they go to Scotland and Bond's ancestral home, if you will, and it becomes like a siege film. And there's this great old Scots character there. I forget the hell his name is. Um, who? Oh yeah, Albert Finney. Uh, he's believe it or not playing uh, the gamekeeper around the uh, estate there. Uh, and the reason it's called Skyfall is that's the name of the estate that Bond grew up on. And he's like, oh, I hated this fucking place anyway, basically. Damn it. He just basically lets the whole place blow up as a way to you know, take out a lot of the mercenaries that are there because you know, the guy comes with a whole bunch of mercenaries and just wipes the, the floor with them more or less until that happens. There's this whole thing where he goes out on thin ice and you know, he falls under the water and he's going to come out. And it, very much he's running around, running away from – this is how bad things get. You know, I talk about how the whole, things get terrible for our hero. He's running away from this fucking guy with M in tow, and they're hiding up there. And they've got a thing like his uh, place has a priest hole in it. So you know that's where they used to secrete them back in the days of like when they did anti-clerical or whatever, going after the Catholics. So people would actually, that had money, had these priest holes where they would quick hide the, the priest that was there for the villager for doing whatever the hell they were doing for the family, giving them a blessing or saying mass or whatever. Uh, until the whoever it was, the inquisitors or people that wanted to kill them, were gone. And okay, now you come back out. And this leads out to another place. It, it was really, really kind of a bravura thing. A yes, too much CG, a little bit too much of the cheesiness with the explosions, but I really, really liked it. And actually, this whole part of the film is what really made it for me. But again, the whole sequence with the two of them kind of up in each other's faces there getting really strange was like, wow, this is really screwed up for a Bond film. And I kind of like this. It actually worked very well. There was a little bit more um, because of you know his relationship with them, the fact that you know his fucking up and her fucking up basically got her killed in the end. And they start speaking to why they may have had a relationship or may not have, that kind of thing. It works really well. It feels like the pinnacle of what they were trying to get to with all three Craig films. And this should have been the end of the series, really. Okay, that's it. Craig's done. We said we had to say we're either ending the Bond series or we're going to a new Bond and starting over doing something else. Unfortunately, they continued on. Spectre, which is a mistake. But they also introduced a new money penny, and which because once again we're at the beginning of the series, they made it kind of odd and interesting, and they screwed with things. Once again, we talked about how uh, Felix Leiter had changed many times. Well, guess what? Now Money Penny is a black girl. She's not all that capable, which is probably why you see her, I think, in the next film. She retires to the desk job, which she ends up with in the entire Bond series, if you're going back retro. She was in, uh, but hold on, she was in Quantum of Solace too. All those things worked for me. I thought it was, especially for the Craig era, a really standout film. And I did, especially afterwards, and I'm thinking about it more, I'm like, you know, I really did kind of fucking enjoy that one. So, And it was a surprise because, like again, I, I really did not like Craig, his prior films or certainly his subsequent films. So this one stands out like a sore thumb. It's like, oh, wow, okay, this is one saving grace. Go ahead. You know you're a Daniel Craig fan. So I know it. For one um, film. Oh, man, man, they brought in Sam Mendes, another guy like Mark Foster who's done action movies. No, he hasn't. Sam Mendes is known for American Beauty, 
that very weird, solemn, mystical, depressing movie where fucking people talk about suicide. Do you remember that? Academy Award winning picture? Yep. And yep. he did a couple other heavy dramas like Mark Forster. So you think they would have learned their lesson. So right away I'm thinking, oh, this is not a good omen. They campaigned vigorously for David Bowie, who was, who constantly, his people at least, declined. Declined. And we didn't know until much later that Bowie's been on and off sick with cancer for many years, so that's why he couldn't do it. Especially the last two or three years of his life, it was you know, just really hard for him. So I think in a way, they were hoping he would do it, and say so they were kind of tailoring this for him. Not entirely, but, you know, with the hope that maybe he was up to it. So, who did they go with was Javier Bardem, who, the guy is talented. Um, I disliked him in a lot of pictures because he's so good at creating these characters or uh, filling out these characters to the, to the point where you're like, oh, I don't like him. You know, I said, please, no more. I hate you. <laughs> There's this, what's that movie... He's uh, with the really hot Rosie Perez, one of his breakout movies. This is a Del Toro picture? No, I can't remember. Where yeah. Bottom is like a psychopathic... It's like a weird road picture where he just kills people. I forget what the hell that was. Didn't like that. But, you know, up and down, blonde hair. Uh, yes, he's playing it. He's kind of playing it pansexual, but definitely leaning toward the gay and... and uh, does the licking of the lips thing he does very subtly. You know, I think he really yep. thought about how he wanted to play this. Um, and then Craig's bond is, is fucking with him, too. You know, when he's all tied down, just like Sheaf did. These guys like tying down these he-men. On that island of this guy, the bad guy, and, yep. and he's bond is sitting there all tied up, you know. And is he beer chested? He might be. Yeah, there's that whole thing there. And then there's the weird scene, though, where the girl who you're trying to think, well, are they going to make her the Bond girl in this movie? And then she just gets shot in the head. Remember that? Yeah, like, exactly. That's part of what I was alluding to. Yep. Yeah, that's a twisted fucking scene there. And that's also, that's reinforcing this guy's <sighs> duality thing here between masculinity and not, you know? He's got well, his own my issues. thing for that was was that he saw her as a semi rival for Bond's affections. Like, oh, you Possibly. like this bitch? Okay, bam. <laughs> Possibly. Well, he also has a lot of issues with M too that are not just the obvious ones. Oh yeah, so there, there's a oh, lot yeah. going on there. I will like to say that the some people might think it's rote. I thought that chase scene that led through the train tunnel and then the train crashing through the wall. Questionable yeah. CGI, but it was exciting as hell. I thought. Oh yeah, a lot of this stuff was very exciting. In this movie. I was like, wow, holy shit, that's kind of big for a Bond picture. You know, like, oh, we're, we're chasing the cars on the street, we're running through tunnels. I'm gonna chase this train, come out of here, and the train crashes through the fucking wall. That's like, wow, that's good. That's like disaster movie kind of Bond type shit. The thing, the sequence at the end where you mentioned Albert Finney as the family retainer, I heard somewhere they were really hoping, they, they, they did this wishful thinking thing. They were hoping to get Connery back, you know, hoping to talk him into doing that part. But then they would have too much explaining to do. And he's adamant about not coming back. And he's also getting quite up there, too. But it was a great part, especially that Welcome to Scotland, you know, the part where he blows the guy away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Albert Finney was, was great in that part. And, um, the fight scenes were done very good. They're very low-level light. I mean, it's, it's well shot. And uh, 
the surprising way uh, they dealt with the demise of M. Like, oh shit, they killed off this main character. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it, it, as you said, it, it was a certain kind of closure. And, and don't forget, they, they also brought it mm-hmm. back to the fact that, oh yeah, here's my ancestral home in Scotland. What is that saying? It's going right back to Connery, because Connery is obviously Scotch. So they were yeah. tying up the series. There was no reason for them to continue after this. Yeah, and except that so it's a very good movie. It's it's definitely one of the best. Besides the ridiculous song, um, <laughs> they, don't, they don't learn their lesson. No, um, well wait, because the, the worst one comes next. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the Spectre. Now this is the one they've been drumming up for a long time, claiming everything leads to Spectre, and uh, <laughs> Spectre's going to be the best. Blah blah blah. <laughs> it was really it was long, long, but it's. It's got a lot of pacing problems, and it's got a lot of problems all over the place. The other thing is, Bond's taking revenge for the death of M, and we hear the name Vesper Lynn brought up in Spectre as well. And we're like, huh, that's weird. They brought Mark Forster back. Now, they had four fucking years. Yes, this is not safe for work, people. They had four fucking years between Skyfall and Spectre. You mean they couldn't come up with a more intelligent script than this. It was like the work of 14 <laughs> people. You know, it's like, and then, you know, and then it looked like Sam Mendes was, un- you know, he created a terrific movie, I'll admit it, with Skyfall. Yeah. And then with Spectre, it, you know, what he did was, you guys go write this, pre- prepare it, I'm going to direct theater abroad for a couple of years, and then I'll come back and I'm going to work on this movie. No, that's not how it works. You have to be there, not constantly, but, you know, See the script rights. You gotta, you gotta be look at the production stuff. You have to be committed when you do a bond, and you can't like go and do theater for four fucking years because you need a break. You either do it or not. And I, I don't know. Maybe he's to blame, but there, there was just a weakness to this movie. And one, one of the things is the <sighs> bond has a brother we never knew. Yeah, sort of the thing I used to call flashbacks to scenes you never saw before. Yeah, remember those? A lot of the movies in the 80s did that. Even some yes. of our favorite cheesy action movies and canon movies, right in the middle is a flashback to a scene we never saw. The hero would be like in turmoil, and suddenly the whole movie stops dead for a flashback. Wait, I didn't see that before. Oh, that must have been like before this movie? Okay. But at least so those were apparently films. They were in no budget. This is a big budget film. It's not, it's inexcusable. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. And so, and so, uh,. Who was the fucking villain in this? Who was? Who was? Is it the guy Christoph Waltz, Franz Oberhauser? Yes, Christoph Waltz. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh boy. <laughs> who, who, who I like in, in of all things, Tarantino's Django fucking movie. I thought he was really good. Oh really, Django uh, Chain? Yeah, yeah. Christoph Waltz is great in that, and he's good in a couple of things. So I thought. All right, I'm not going to prejudge this until I see it. He's he's all right, but he's doing his Christoph Waltz shtick. By now, he's doing a shtick. And, yes, people, look up the word. But the thing is, we could have had somebody else do that. Michael Fassbender could have did that, like yep. that part. And then we throw in this thing that Bond's real family name is Dis. And his parents are actually not who he thought they were because of that. I don't want to get into details. This would be a five-hour show. And then yeah. the, the head of Spectre is Christoph Waltz, who is Bond's brother, sort of. Yeah. And yeah. here's the thing that will bug you out. Everything that happened in the last four pictures has been planned by this guy. 
we've been led to believe. Yes. <laughs> every yes. fucking thing. So every thing that happened to Bob, every person that died, every relationship he had was planned by this guy. Yep. So all in the family. Can't keep in your pants, keep in the family. <laughs> yeah. So you're not thinking a big yeesh because you're like, well, oh, something's wrong here. Uh-huh. Now the movie made a billion dollars. <laughs> We cannot we cannot say it did not make money. It's it's one of the more financially lucrative bond movies. I think because people went expecting a lot, <laughs> something better. Yeah, Espe- and it was just crap. <laughs> especially after Skyfall. Um, and look at some of the strange casting because you've got Batista, the fucking wrestlers in this. Okay, it's basically a non-speaking part, but really, you know, who are they gonna put in next? You know, Chris Jericho. Uh, <laughs> well, Monica you know, Bellucci I don't wasted well, in it. Uh, I think. Ralph Fiennes is wasted in it. Yeah, but he was introduced in in uh, Skyfall too. Yeah, he's I in mean, the Factor New Spectre, isn't he? Yeah, yes, he is. Yeah. Spectre had the worst CG since Goldeneye, and if you listen to what we said about Goldeneye, that's really saying something. Like I mentioned before, Daniel Craig is really not Bond. He never was. He's this flawed spy working with a divisive, bristly, internal politics beset MI6. He's kind of fucking homely with women to match, because like I mentioned, whatever happened to these exotic beauties that the Bond girls were supposed to be, and you know, one of the most desirable women on Earth, that went right out the window come Holly Berry, and never really corrected course afterwards. There's nobody that looks like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. That's part of the problem. With yeah, but Doofy looking, looks like that. Yeah, there's still some people that are attractive. I mean, before she, oh, she got crazy here again. The yeah, breast operations are Angelina Jolie is pretty hot. No, 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 no. Come on. You know, Argento, for all her weirdness, I always thought her kind of hot. But there's women out there that are worthy of, you know, your attention. Uh, you know, who's the one that's, uh, I mean, she's a dope, but Megan Fox, she's hot. I mean, they could have picked somebody like that. There are these ugly women all the time. And, Megan Fox. You know, speaking of, I, see, I disagree with you. I don't think these women are ugly. Oh, I don't think they're ugly. I, I just think they were going for something different. And I think, I think he's quite handsome in his own way. Well, this is what I was thinking about. Do you remember in the 70s when they had all these doofy-looking, nebbishy new men, they used to call them, like Alan Alda, Richard Benjamin, Elliot Gould, and they actually considered them sex symbols, like when we were like hot for these guys? Or in the well, 80s yeah. when Harry fucking Hamlin made Sexiest Man Alive twice? Yeah, okay, so the folks that think that Daniel Craig is like, I actually wrote, uh, and this is a little nasty, but it's funny, isn't one of the ugliest fucks to walk the earth bar Donald Trump or smoke is the same hookah? <laughs> Uh, and then when I said about the film itself, there's like one of the leads in it, you know, Leo Sedou there. I'm like, oh, great, the French Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, her hips are enormous. I haven't seen hips that disproportionate since Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. And once again, more torture porn. So glad we're back to Casino Royale territory. And I actually wrote, this movie sucks. So, yeah, I mean, it well, was well, really bad. I, 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 I can't debate. <laughs> I think you think it sucks a lot more than I do. So I can't really debate. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, we, we both kind of agree it's bad. Although, I yeah, I don't, I don't agree. I think you're, I think you're extra vicious on him as well as the women. But, but what can I do about that? Uh, yeah, you, I, no, I, 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 I think you, you kind of lost your mind with that one. I don't think these women are that unattractive. I, I think they're fine. I think they reflect the way we look. I, we should look at women as being ordinary. We shouldn't be looking at them as like this hot sex. Because it's not the way it is anymore, and I respect him for trying to be a little realistic, as well as the casting of Craig. So, yes, you lost your mind with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's down, like David. saying, okay, 
Look, America has come like the Walmart shopper, right? Because he's kind of overweight, dumbed down, you know, hat to the back types, you know, they, they, like get their ass crack showing, and maybe they got like yeah. a tinfoil hat because they're a little nuts. Yeah. So let's start casting them because that's more realistic. Who the fuck wants to see them? We got to deal with them no, every day. No, 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 no. Saying, you're looking no, for beautiful people, people, and you know, you're trying to escape from that crap, and you're I'm not getting that here. I mean, I'm. Well, okay, I'm gonna to try to make my point coming up. So, so right now the movie, the movie series is in a holding pattern, which history tells us is not a good sign because any time they take three to four years and they still say, "Well, we're still thinking about it," that means they're thinking of recasting again. Yes, it has and he has said he doesn't want to do it. Anymore. He said he doesn't want to do it again, and three weeks ago he was in New York. At a uh, New York Times discussion that's on the internet, apparently, and I saw it. And somebody in the audience, they have a Q&A afterwards after the, the guy, the nameless guy, has himself on stage. And there was a mini Q&A. Somebody brought that up. He said, yes, I did say that, but you know what? I've never had so much fun, and I would gladly do another. So, there goes that. So there you go. They've been throwing around names, though. Uh, every two months, we'll see a list of people, and... We go from Tom Hiddleston, Loki. <laughs> and that's strange casting again because talk about somebody that really at least plays to the gay audience as you know of indeterminate sexual orientation. You know, there you go. The, he, as him as Bond would be throwing things. Oh, he is. That's what's interesting. So you'd be really throwing a bone that way and saying, well, what the hell are they trying to go for here? You know, is this the same well, Bond? Is this the Bond for the new millennium? You know. Personally, if you're going to do that, get better to come about. Everybody's go-to guy. Cast him. Mm-hmm. He was good Dr. Strange. Yeah. And uh, then there's the Idris Elba rumors. Yes. All, they won't yes, if they want to go for the switch to Felix Leiter, but I don't think that'll play with Middle America, especially down south. So, yeah. I mean, but it well, would be a nice touch. What? Never say never. Stranger things have happened. I've been um, waiting for a black Doctor Who for 25 years now, especially when they were tossing around. You remember that special they did where they had a whole bunch of – and they had uh, – what's her name there? Joanna Lumley was one of them, and Lenny Henry, you know, Chef, was one of them. They're like, wow, maybe they'll do a female Doctor Who. Maybe they'll do a black Doctor Who. No. You know, all these years later, they, they're still playing it safe. They're still keeping them, you know, British, uh, white male of whatever age range. You know, they've gotten younger. Well, they've gotten older. But Let's see what happens with the new Doctor Who showrunner. Because yeah. I think they're they're ready. And they're ready to yeah. They're ready to change. And I will say that, you know, since we did the Bond show, I've come to understand and appreciate what Peter Capaldi offers there. Uh I definitely do like him. Where he ranks, I can't really tell you, but uh my problems with the Capaldi era from what I've seen is really his companion. I, I, she does not work with him. She barely worked with uh, Matt Smith. She certainly doesn't work with him, and they kind of left her as the focal point. So this season, apparently, they're getting rid of her, and they're going with a new girl. We'll see how that plays out. But uh, I do – I have gained some affection for him. And you yeah. know how much I dislike Matt Smith. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I liked him. I thought Matt Smith was great, but whatever. Yeah, I see him in this, this weird movie directed by – I think it was Ryan Gosling. Did you see that mm-hmm. thing? No. It was like a indie. It was like a movie. Uh, it was like for what was that movie? Forbidden. What was it? Forbidden World by okay. Elton. Yes. It was like that. It was very disturbing and very creepy. And and Matt Smith is in this bald uh, or close cropped here as this weird creepy dude. I was like, I never want to see this movie again. 
Was he pulling a white chair yeah. <laughs> to Wachinski last week? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it definitely is very weird. I mean, the guy's a talented fucking filmmaker. I was like, wow, that was a good looking and shit like that. But, you know, it was occasionally a good actor. And uh, what was he and I really like? The nice guys with, with the ever-expanding Russell Crowe. Yeah, I really highly <laughs> recommend that. Ever-expanding? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you don't see it in widescreen, you're not going to see Russell. So <laughs> <laughs> he's um, like the uh, Alec Baldwin of the, <laughs> the film world. <laughs> no, Alec Baldwin, right? For Christ, uh, Russell Crowe. I don't know what's going on. Man. <laughs> um, it's a really good movie, and it's probably one of my favorite. The guy who did um, the movie with Robert Downey, Val, Val Kimmer. I forgot the director's name. Sorry. Whatever movie that was. He only made three movies. Um, Shane Black. Shane Black. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, the nice guys. Yeah, I highly recommend that. Anyway, this is the end of our Bond show. Finally, and we hope you enjoy listening. We thank you for listening. It took us 14 hours and 62 days to do this. <laughs> and, um, He's exaggerating, but it did take a couple of times. So uh, this will all be in one final show. Uh, it'll probably run at the end of it about, uh, I'm going to guess at uh, two and a half hours. Uh, all told. And uh, stay tuned after this because you will get a little treat. A fellow who works with us at uh, NI Level uh, offered a little bit of business uh, involving uh, Mr. Sean Connery and a phone call to him. So that will follow up right after we close. And in terms of the show itself, you know, our regular episodes, you just heard Kinski last week. And stay tuned to what should be this Thursday for mm-hmm. our Eddie Constantine show. Anything else you want to say before we close out here? Yeah, thank you for listening all. Good night. Thanks for listening tonight. We hope you enjoyed our revisitation of the Bond series. Uh, tune in on Thursday for our Eddie Constantine show. WeirdScenes1.wordpress.com or WeirdScenes1 at Twitter or WeirdScenes1.facebook.com. See you next Thursday. for free, but on occasions I like to help out, especially for those who are less fortunate than myself in the world of showbiz. So I'm gonna help Doc Cabbage and his co-host Lewis Paul. Don't know why he's got two first names. Now that is weird. Anyhow, as I said, I'll give it a shot. So at first I didn't really know how to approach this one. But then I came up with the idea that, well, what would be better than to get one of the actual James Bonds on here for an interview? Know what I mean? <laughs> I would soon increase Doc and Double Whammy First Name's audience. Yeah. Now listen, 
Obviously, it ain't as straightforward as that. I'm not paying for celebrities to travel all the way to my plush glory hole fog studios up here in Arkansas. No siree. So the next best thing is a phone call, I thought. Yep, I just looked up Con Shonery and the Yellow Pages and there he was. So this is how my phone call went earlier today. Pay attention. Who the hell is this? This is Cedric, Mr. Connery's personal assistant. Personal assistant? Yes, sir. Maybe you refer to it as butler. A butler? What the hell? Why she need a butler? She too damn lazy to answer the phone himself. And Cedric, what kind of name is that? Sounds suspicious. Sir, may I ask what this call is in connection with? Yeah, I'm here looking to conduct an interview with Mr. Shonery. You mean Mr. Connery, sir? Yeah, that's what I said. What's the matter with you? Is this a scheduled interview? Well... Sir, Mr. Connery only conducts unarranged interviews or anything connected with charity. Is that a fact? Well, <clears throat> tell your boss I'm doing this for charity. Very well, sir. Please hold the line while I consult Mr. Connery. Well, okay, but don't take too long. I'm a busy man. One moment, please. Come on. The hell's he doing? <laughs> I like Connery style. He's got an Englishman as a slave. <laughs> Hi, sorry to keep you, sir. Mr. Connery has agreed to talk. He will be with you in a moment. Nice one. Okay, you can't toodle off, Cedrica, and clean the toilets or whatever you do. Yes, hello. Who's this? This is Mr. Connery. Ah, good. How'd you do, Mr. Shonery? It's actually Connery, not Shonery. That's what I said. Now listen. I won't keep you too long, cause my time is precious, understand? I don't believe I caught your name, sir. That's cause I ain't told you yet. The name's Squiggly. Darn Squiggly. How can I help, Mr. Squiggly? Well, I'm glad you asked. I was hoping we could conduct a little interview down the phone line here. I know it's a little unusual, but... I'm millions of miles away in Arkansas, and I didn't want to come knocking on your door. I understand. Would you like to give me some insight into what this interview is based on? Sure, it's James Bond. Oh, God, that old chestnut again. Look, I understand you probably spent a lifetime answering questions on this. But just to explain, I'm trying to help out a couple of my... Fellow podcast friends over at Weird Scenes on the Blog Talk Radio, you know? These guys, well, they ain't as famous as me and you. So this interview might bring them some kind of much-needed publicity. Understand? Yes, absolutely. And I believe you're also doing this for charity. Uh, that's right. 
Okay, and do these gentlemen at your scenes have names? Indeed they do. The host is, uh, one duck cabbage, uh, with his co-host, Lewis Paul. That's odd. He's got two first names. That's what I thought. Double whammy. Now listen, I'm gonna try to keep this interview as simple as possible. Okay. Nothing too complicated for you. I know you're getting on a bit in years. Excuse me? Now listen, are you ready? I think so, yes. Alrighty then. The first question is, did you ever do any of your own stunts in the movies? That's a good question. Well, Richard says most actors have stunt doubles. Directors don't like to take risks with their own actors. But I've had a few close calls doing my own stunts. I was almost killed once on the set of Dr. No. Interesting. You see, that's kind of conflicting from what I read. Is that right? What have you read? Well, someone wrote that Mr. Shonery... It's Connery. That's what I said. They wrote, and I quote, Mr. Con Connery was so frightened of doing his own stunts that he once told director Guy Hamilton on the set of Goldfinger that he refused to do the scene where he had to perform as an olive in a glass of martini. What's your Mr. Squiggly? It's Squiggly. Sorry, Mr. Squiggly. Where are you getting this information from? From the I Hate Connery website. The I Hate Connery website? Are you serious? Is there such a thing? Oh yeah. You should check it out. It's got thousands of members. My, that's a lot. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> Excuse me? Never mind. Now listen, despite what people think, I think you're a great actor. Well, thank you. Yeah, some folks just don't realize the diversity of the movies you've done. Apart from Bond, you've done a lot of good stuff. Thanks. Uh, do you have any favorites? Oh, hell yeah. I like them. Let me think. The name of the Rose, um, Highlander. Uh-huh. Uh, Just Cause, Medicine Man, Rising Sun. Yes. Um, Indiana Jones, Hitchcock's Marnie, The King and I. Mr. Squiggler. The Untouched. Mr. Squiggler. Yeah, what? You said The King and I. That's right. I think you may be getting confused with the man who would be king. Are you sure? Yes, the king and I was your Oh, I'm sorry, that's right. You see how easy it is to get confused with them two movies? How? Well, you both got the same hairstyles. I beg your pardon. Now listen... Be quiet, don't talk over the top of me. Now listen, you probably find it strange that I didn't mention any of the Bond movies among that list of my favorites. Yes, I did notice that. Why is that? Because I personally think Bond is a whole lot of hooey. I see. Well, I'm sorry. You feel that way. I'm not. Okay, now listen. Let's try and wrap this up. Because I got better things to do. Ah, 
Quickfire questions. Favorite Bond? Um, Donald Craig, probably. Uh, I agree on that one. All the rest were crap. They're the worst Bond. I can't see. Ha! Won't see, you mean. Bet it's that Roger Moorish fella. Now he was shit. Now come on, be nice. Okay, now listen. The boys back at the studio probably had a couple of questions to ask, but I didn't have enough time to find out. So I can only hazard a guess as to what they may have asked you. Okay. Alright, so we'll start with what I think Doc Cabbage may have asked. He's the kind of deep-thinking intellectual into all that existentialism stuff. You mean existentialism? That's what I said. Okay, so his question would have been... Okay, he'd probably be itching to know if you porked Ursula Andress in real life. Come on, Mr. Squiggly, you know I'm not going to answer a question like that. So I'll take that as a yes, then, <laughs> You old dog. Jesus. Okay, so what would Double Whammy have likely asked me? Well, I'm not sure. I haven't got to know him very well as yet. But from what I've heard so far, he's more likely to ask you how much a jug of sangria costs in Spain. I see. Yeah, why you live in Spain, anyway? Well, at my age, the climate is a lot kinder on these old bones. Huh. So nothing to do with it being a tax haven as well. Well, there is that benefit as well. Just out of curiosity, Mr. Scoddley, you said you're doing this for charity, right? That's correct. Which charity is that? Uh, the Scoddley charity. I'm confused. Well, when I say I'm doing this for charity, what I mean is I'm doing it for free because I ain't getting fucking paid for it. So that is charity. I get the feeling I've just been conned. <laughs> That's right. You've been conned, Mr. Shonery. Have a nice day now. So there you go, boys. That was Mr. Con Shonery right here weird scenes. And no, there's no need to thank me. I get sacks of fan mail every day as it is. Have a good one, you hear?